Hey, Podcast America, welcome to episode 18 of the Enlightened Neanderthals podcast. And before we get into show notes, as always, we're going to talk Allegiance Holsters. They are a small family-owned business in North Carolina, and they make all of your molded Kydex range holsters and inside the waistband concealed carry holsters. And they also have the individual first aid kits, IFACs for sale, and if you've listened to more than a couple or more than one of our latest episodes, you'll know I say that you should have a handful of these things kicking around your house and your glove box and your backpack, etc. Check them out at allegianceholsters.com and use code TNW10 at checkout to save you a little bit. This episode, we had a guest, Brent Weir, who is a veteran of the nuclear submarine naval force. I don't know. Is that what you would call that? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know as well as a 20-year firefighter here locally. Um, I, th- I thought it was a really interesting episode just hearing about how how life works on a nuclear submarine when you're underway. What did he say, like 60 days? They'd been yeah. underwater at one point? Something like f- yeah, you know, yeah I believe 50s. it was 58. 50, yeah. 58 days they spent out, I believe. Un- well, submerged, not just out on the ocean, but yeah. 58 days submerged straight. Um, and then he's At a he- depth... That we aren't sure of. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Undisclosed. Um, and then he, he has been a fireman for 20 years, was fired for, ta- or for refusing the COVID vaccine, and then recently rehired. So he has, uh, he has an interesting story to tell, and I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. All right, we're live, and we are here in studio on the mats. We've got uh, my friend Brent. Can we say your last name, or do you prefer to keep it out? Whatever. Whatever. Brent, keep it up. Let's give him you a fake it name. Out yeah. Brent, <laughs> Brent Yellow. Brent Yellow. <laughs> Brent Yellow. Hey, who are you calling Yellow? <laughs> so so Brent is in studio with us here on the uh, in the mat room. And this should be a fun conversation because he's had some pretty interesting life experience. Uh, but he was a uh, – what, what was your specific role on the submarine? I was a nuclear power plant mechanic, mechanical okay. operator. Okay, so he's a is a – Tech, is it fair to say technician? Uh, yeah, well, you're you're standing watch. You're running all the machinery, running the equipment, and doing all the maintenance on it. So okay, and power then, plant, you know, propulsion plant operator. Yeah, okay. the smartest person in the room, right? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I wasn't the smartest, <laughs> but you know. Well, you no. are now. <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are tonight, brother. <laughs> Welcome uh, to no, the no, 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 no. <laughs> And so then you went from there into the fire service for a large metropolitan fire department for what twenty years and. So we've we've got a lot of uh, you know things to talk about there with the way society just kind of like our conversation with Fireman Dave, talking yeah. about uh, the way society is devolving and what we're placing on our first responders, forcing them to deal with it, and then you were fired for not taking the COVID vaccine, correct? That is correct. All right, so we've we've got a lot to talk about, <laughs> but before we do, where are you from, Brett? Where did you did you grow up around here? Yep, yep, grew up in uh, Snohomish County, Everett area. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I went to high school here and uh, married my uh, high school sweetheart. Actually, Did we you? met before high school. Oh, shit. So, yeah, my lovely wife, Dana, and she's awesome. I don't care if people know my last name. They can figure it out. They're going to figure out, you know, okay. whatever. I have nothing to hide. But, um, yeah, so we got married. And when, when I was in the Navy, actually, uh, we'd kind of separated a little bit. And she was at Wazoo going to school. And I was like, man, why did I let her go? So I started tracking her down, and she had a boyfriend and was like, talk to the hand, and I was like, oh, no. But I got my foot back in the door, and so we got married and had our first baby down in uh, San Diego, and then we've had uh, 
have four total kids and the youngest has just finished her first year down at UW. And so, uh, yeah, I got a, got a wonderful family. We've been married over 30 years now. So awesome. Man. Nice. Congratulations. That's, yeah, that's really cool. That's a lot of work. Um, yeah. okay. So what year did you join the Navy? So I joined <clears throat> right after high school. So, um, I didn't have a lot of direction. I was trying to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do in life. And both my mom and dad had kind of gotten remarried and had kind of lives going on, new lives. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had a stepdad that had been in the Navy. So he was like, uh, why don't you go in the Navy? I'm like, okay. So he took me down and he had an idea of what he thought I should do. But started talking to the recruiter and uh, he was a nuke machinist made on submarines. So guess what I ended up doing? Yeah. I was a nuke machinist made on submarines, right? So what, what year was this? So this is 1987. Okay. So right after high school, I went on a fishing boat up to Alaska for the summer and then fished down here in the Puget Sound a little bit and didn't know what I wanted. I had two classes. I was going to go to Bellevue Community College, and I had a volleyball class and a math class. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this says I don't know where I'm going. And Please tell me join volleyball was co-ed. I, you know, yeah, probably. But <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't that's make why it you there. go to college. I didn't sports. make it there. That's such the... Uh, the track of so many kids yeah. coming out of high school, though, just like my hand, like I don't have any direction. Yeah, do I, do I don't know hands. where I'm going to yeah. go. Yeah, you know, and I, I signed up for two classes, or it ended up being one class. But uh, yeah, it was where just was volleyball. <laughs> no, no math. It, wasn't, it was uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, the government and the media, and it was one combined class for eight hours a day. Well, well they've that, combined that lately, so you know yeah, they're right they're ahead of their time. Now, now would be a hell of a class. <laughs> yeah, then. Yeah. Oh, 2008 boy. i was ready to ready to yeah, get the hell out of there yourself. but you were you kind of had the same thing and you had so when you went to the navy you went and did your test to find out how smart you were and nukes are pretty smart cookies yeah yeah you know you take the asfab test back then and they pretty much say oh yeah you can kind of do anything you want and the, the military has to offer and so yeah they the thing with the nuclear power is is that it was like a 75% attrition rate in the school. So they'd put, you know, 500 people in and they'd get, what, 125 that would actually graduate. Or and you whatever went, that, what's 25% of that? Or one North of, Carolina uh, then for that? <clears throat> no, I was in Florida. Oh, you were in Florida. So that oh. base is totally gone now. I went to boot camp, A school, and nuclear power school in, in Orlando. And then I went up to Idaho. So that was about a year going through all of that. And then Idaho Falls was where we did our prototype reactor plant. So they have a big mock-up of a submarine engine room. Yeah. And you they, they you, you show them that, hey, I can actually qualify because they don't want to send you out to a sub and have you have, have to try to qualify, you know, sure. with the pressure on. Yeah, and now this guy can't do it. You know, he can't perform under pressure. Yep. Yep. So they got to make sure you can actually do it before they even send you to the sub. So it's two years before you even get onto the onto a boat. Was, it, was that a four-year enlistment or a, did you have to six sign years. up? No, it's six. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you have two years of training time. in school, yeah, yeah. Okay. So your job, I mean, are you technically learning how to contain a nuclear, like a nuclear sub sounds real cool, but technically isn't it just steam? You're creating steam power? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you're But you're, you're learning how to keep a well, core reactor. You, reactor you also have the cool, reactor. <laughs> right? So, yeah. and, so in a confined space, what you're being taught is how, like a Chernobyl event, we, we have a bad event. We need to keep this situation stable. You're yeah. learning how to keep the core cool in a very confined environment. Yeah. I think that's, that, yeah. that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, and, and the interesting thing, too, is that if you think about it, you're taking 20, 21, 22 year old young men. And I think they got, they got gals doing it now, but back then it was all guys 
that are running nuclear reactors yeah. and <laughs> oh, very, very, yeah. very few <laughs> accidents. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, now granted the first submarine I was on, the first sub in that class actually sank. So I was just, so I went, so down we can talk about that, but, yesterday. um, so, you know, but that wasn't because of the nuclear, actually the nuclear reactor or anything. It didn't have anything to do with the nuclear part of it, but, um, let's, let's get there. But, but yeah, what I, wa- I was going to ask is in the mid eighties, was it widely known that we were using nuclear reactors on submarines? Was that old news? Oh yeah. 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 No, I, we didn't even have, I think we had maybe a couple when I, first, when I got in, I think there's maybe a couple diesel boats left, but okay. the, the <laughs> boat I got on in 1987 was a 30 year old boat. Yeah, no, and, so and while I me. was on board, it got decommissioned. Okay, and then I went to another boat, and then when that when I and that was a thirty year old boat, and when I got done with my enlistment, right when I got done, is they decommissioned that one as well. So I was at the very tail end of those boats. So yeah, it's that technology has been around a long time. Okay, so that, let's let's go back to the machine room or the the reactor room. Yeah, what what speci- like what are your daily tasks <laughs> if you're working in the reactor room on a submarine? So back then, and I. I don't think it's changed too much. But you got to remember too, this is from '87 to '93. But sure. but so on a on a sub, so I was on a you know a, the, the 612 and the 662. So I was in a 594 class and a 637 class. But you had three types of nuclear trained enlisted guys. So you had the mechanics, the electricians, and the electronics technicians. So ETs, EMs, and the MMs. The mechanics took care of everything mechanical. So we had we were the ones that turned the wrenches. We did all the maintenance on stuff. We ran the main engines, the turbine generators. We made all the water. We purified all the lube oil. We took care of the air compressors, stuff like that. And then you had the electricians, and they went around, and they took care of all the motors. So there'd be a pump that would pump seawater. Well, we'd take care of the, the pump and the casing and all the mechanical parts of it. Electricians would deal with all the wiring. Yep. And then you had the ETs, who are the electronics technicians, and they're the ones that focused on the reactor controls. So there was a whole machinery space that just had these cabinets full of electronic. And now, granted, you know, this is going to be, what, 50s technology at the time. But, you know, oh, we yeah. always thought yeah. 1950s technology An- today. Analog the needles new- and buttons <laughs> and yeah. big control cabinet but just chock full of wire. Now. But, yeah. yeah. But yeah. those are the guys that those are the guys that, that took care of the reactor control stuff. And so anything that had to do with, you know, because there's, there's a lot to a nuclear reactor as far as, you know, powering it up, powering it down, making sure you're controlling all the parameters that are going on inside the, you know inside the reactor so that's those are the three different types and then you'd have a you know you'd have um the engineering the engineering officer he's the officer in charge of all the engineering spaces and then you'd have um yeah and so then and so then controlling the boat we had an engine upper level and engine lower level machinery space upper level machinery space lower level watches on duty this is when we're under sea and cruising along through the ocean an engine room supervisor that roamed around that was what i ended up doing and then you'd have three guys that sat in the maneuvering room you might see those control panels, and it's got a throttles. It's got the um, the reactor plant control panel and the electrical p- plant control panel. And so you had an electrician sitting there, an ET sitting there, and another EM sitting over there. And that's so you know you see Hunt for Red October, yeah, and you see like two or three guys, and it's they're and they're driving the boat. Movies. Total baloney. <laughs> oh. There's no way that three guys can run a submarine. You've got so many people doing things like from the control room of the sub you can't even it, there's no gas pedal up there yeah like when they they ring a head flank right they ring the little thing up well a little signal goes to that room yeah. and then that guy has to physically it's like it looks like a giant wheel of a ship right he has the two the reverse and the and the forward he literally has to open 
um, a, turn a hand wheel that mechanically links to some valves that let steam into the turbines. Okay. So that's the gas pedal on a submarine yeah. okay. is, is opening this, this thing up. And there's a lot to it, right? I mean, because when you start drawing steam off, all the temperatures start changing. Oh, yeah. and all the, you know, the way that the, you know, the nuclear reaction is happening changes. They got to change the way the control rods are up and down. So there's a lot of stuff that happens, and it takes a lot of people to run one. So, who, yeah, who's in charge of the reactor and the control rods? That'd be the engineering officer of the watch. Okay. Yeah, and so he's he's an engineer. He's a is an officer, and he's sitting there behind these three enlisted guys. Yeah. And he's making sure, you know, he's ultimately responsible at that moment. Got it. To make sure, you know, and just like there's a an engine, uh, there's an officer of the deck who's in the con- control room. You guys see in the movies, right, where the he's got the periscope mm-hmm. and stuff, right. So you got another officer there, <laughs> that's that's standing behind the guys that actually steer the boat, and make it go up and down, um, and all that. So, okay. do you know the type of fuel that was used in the rods? It's like uranium two thirty eight. That's what you guys, yeah. Yeah, that's that's Just what standard, it is. Yep. Yeah, it's not. And and so this. My boats are long decommissioned. Yeah. Technically, I couldn't, you know, some of these things I couldn't talk about back in the day, and probably there might be somebody that might say you shouldn't, still should yeah, talk it's about all that. Open source you can go to, yeah, you can go to any book now, and yeah, especially since they're all razor blades now, the boats I was on, so <laughs> there's so much more technology than what I, yeah. What do, do you have any idea what they do with the reactor when they decommission the boat? Yeah, so what they do is the reactors, if you think about the, the sub, a big long tube, the reactor compartment is one big giant section in the middle and it has a tunnel that goes through. So forward of the reactor compartment, anybody can kind of go up in those areas, but you can't even like if you bring visitors down or even other people from the tender, from the shipyard, yeah. they technically can't go past the reactor compartment because that stuff was all confidential. Okay. So unless somebody had the need to know, yeah. then you couldn't go back there. But that whole section of the, where the reactor compartment's at has a tunnel that you go through with, doors but they just cut that out of the center of the sub they weld the sub back together and they send that up to get recycled and then they take that react compartment and ship it out to i think it's in idaho i was just gonna say but it's out the desert the no it's out <laughs> the desert i think it's i think it's idaho you can look at it. i mean google it i yeah. forget where it's at i've seen the pictures of it they dig a huge hole in the ground and they just line these old react compartments up no shit. and then eventually they just bury them hmm. oh. Because it's all about time, distance, and shielding, right? As far as being re- resisting. What's shielding radi- for them? Dirt? Well, yeah. Like, isn't in well, Hanford, they, they <clears throat> put them in glass? It's because they think it's better containment? Uh, well, it, de- it depends on what you're talking about. I'm not right. sure. Right. Yeah. But but for that, it, the reactor, so there's multiple layers of protection there, right? You've got the reactor core. The rods are all down inside there, so there's no reactivity going on. It's yeah. all it's not it's shut down. It's cold. It's like a yeah. It's like a dead reaction. Yeah, and then it's in a shielded, you know, this HY80 steel's like you know a foot thick, yeah. <laughs> yeah. super steel, and then it's in a big hole in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and then eventually they just bury it, so nobody's getting affected by that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's just weird to think we yeah. have stuff buried. No, I know, dude. You know, because what's the half-life on that? Oh, Some oh, of no, it, you know, like 100,000 years, years for yeah. the half-life. You're no, like, it, Jesus yeah. Christ. But it's just like all our trash, right? Where does yeah, all our okay. trash go? Yeah, into the ground. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Landfills, man. I think about that. I'm just like. Yeah, unbelievable. Good. At least they become uh, nice golf courses. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a park. Yeah. Mommy, oh, what's that man. flame venting out of the ground? That's <laughs> <laughs> your eternal flame of truth. Yeah, that's right. It's profit. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so when you sent me the you sent me the 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 ship numbers last night, and I immediately the first thing I saw was that the guardfish was a Thresher class sub. So I looked up Thresher class subs, and that immediately <laughs> took me down the route yeah. of the very first Thresher class lost sub. at sea. Yeah, was the USS Thresher that went down with like. Yeah. All all men aboard lost at sea. So joining the Navy and actually, what year was the Scorpion? That had to have been right before you joined too. The Scorpion was earlier. Yeah, I've like my head. Maybe? Yeah. It's, so that had yeah. to be in your mind when you're joining up to. Well, you you know you hear about those things when you're going through school and stuff, but you know they they go through and they say, okay, this is why that happened, and then here's what we learned from that, and here's the changes that we made from that. Um, you know, to be frank, I was. Flipping 18, 18, 19 yeah, years old, dude. I wasn't thinking about much. I was thinking about, well, how many days till I get out of the Navy or, you know, what, you know, yeah. <laughs> what, what girl that, do, what girl do yeah, I want to yeah, ask yeah, out yeah, on a yeah. date next week? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How much money am I going to make? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to have some more basic questions for you here. Oh, man. Uh, you're a tall guy. <laughs> and I thought subs were like a bunch of small dudes. I didn't think they were like, I thought there was really tight, compact spaces. Was that it, rough or what? It, there is, yeah, there's a lot of compact spaces, but you learn to, you get used to it, right? Like anything else, you kind of adapt. And so I remember one story that's kind of funny. We had a guy come down from the, the shipyard that was there to work on a pump. And so they said, hey, we're go go forward. That's my last name. No, you got it. Go <laughs> forward and uh, go forward and meet the guy from the shipyard as he comes down the hatch and then bring him back here. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go down. I, uh, there's a, a hatch that opens up the main one where you crawl down into the sub. There's a ladder there that swings out of the way when we go under sea. But so he comes down the line. I'm like, Hey, follow me. And so I go down, I go up some steps, crawl through a watertight hatch, go through the tunnel, crawl through another hatch, down some steps, go down. And I turn around and I go, where did the guy go? Yeah. I'm like, shoot, I hope I didn't lose him. And I Lost walk him back. And he's like crawling through the first hatch, <laughs> like trying to get through this hatch. <laughs> and you just get so good at getting through them. Like this hatch might be only like three feet by two feet. It's got a little bar on top and you get, to the point where you just you grab the bar you shoot your legs through and you just your head ducks under and yeah. it's just kind of muscle memory All nimble, yeah. so your first couple of weeks yeah you get a lot of cuts and bumps on your head but after yeah. that you uh, yeah. the muscle memory you it's not a lot it's yeah. not very big right what, what was the longest <laughs> you guys are ever, oh sorry what was the longest you were ever underway on a sub uh 59 days without coming to the surface oh, did were people still smoking on the boats back then yeah so oh. what they could do back then <laughs> that's why this is hilarious dude this is hilarious they would they called it the smoking lamp right yeah. if the smoking lamps lit that means that you can you can light up and so when we were underway right think about it you got only got a certain amount of oxygen and so there's a whole, a whole bunch of ways that you we get oxygen make oxygen scrub the co2 out of the air but so they couldn't smoke but then when we were ventilating they could they would light the smoking lamp so ventilating is when you come up to the surface and they, the snorkel goes up and it's this big mass thing that goes up and a valve opens up and they turn on this huge high pressure blower and it circulates fresh air through the boat, right? Yeah, it's got to so, feel so good. So yeah, so as soon as they said, okay, you know, commence ventilation, smoking lamp is lit. Well, then you'd had 15, 20 guys all just chain smoking <laughs> as fast as they could. So when you're supposed to be getting the fresh air, that's when this haze of smoke just started permeating through the boat. You're just like, come on, man. I'm negative uh, 1.5 packs of yeah, camel filters. Yeah. I got to get through these. Yeah. And then they'd be like, okay, you know, secure ventilation, uh, smoking lamps out. And everybody's like sucking down their last one and they uh, shut the valve. And I was like, come on, man. Man. that doing any good. Uh, I got a question for when you're underwater for an extended period of time. And in a lot of military 
so much emphasis is putting on for PT, you know, physical exercise and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. How do you stay, you know, uh, limber, strong when you're in these small confined spaces? What do they do to make sure your body's being maintained adequately? No, Give you cigarettes when the vents. Are <laughs> yeah. yeah, here's a hard pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do a laps back and forth down the hall. Four steps that way. Four steps that way. No, um. So what they what we would do is we would like pack when we do a long long deployment. We'd pack um because it was just short stuff you know if you're just going out for a week or a couple of days or whatever then you just, you just yeah. deal with it right yeah. but and you know you could always do body weight stuff like there'd be guys that were you know and i, I worked out with another guy that was a friend of mine and but you know we do pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups prison and like that. kind of work yeah yeah stuff. body yeah, weight yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. but yeah. then we would if we did a long underway they'd, they'd find a little area and they we had a rowing machine back in it's called shaft alley and it was back towards behind the reduction gears and there was this little area where you could walk and we just had a rowing machine there and so you could actually sit and and use the rowing machine and then in in one of the machinery spaces or electrical spaces up they put a um, exercise bike in there so they just had it crammed in among some of the other <laughs> stuff oh and we had a versa climber so oh, coming oh, into killer. the coming into the engine room there's the hatch in the back and that's the rear hatch and so there's, you know, the bell, like when you see the seals and the divers, and they would lock in and lock out. Yeah. So there's a hatch on top, you're then this pressure bell, and then a hatch on the bottom, and then there's a little ladder coming down. Well, you know, when you're underway, nobody's going up and down that ladder, so we mounted a Versa climber there so you could sit. Yeah. But the thing that sucked is you'd be trying to work out, and if you're on the surface, those bolts roll a lot. So <laughs> I can remember trying to row one time, and I'm not rocking back and forth. I'm like, this sucks. I feel like I'm really rowing. rowing for, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so we, we did what we could when we yeah, improvising. Yeah, I yeah, felt yeah. like would be the worst was on the spec op when you're, which is you know your special op, which is your the long deployment. But yeah, you know, other than that, if it's just a two week in and out, you just dealt with it. Because I feel like to be under for what did you say was your longest? Fifty nine days. So I mean, not only is that phys the better your body is physically, you can handle a more intense situation. But then mentally, how do you maintain normalcy or like? I'm not claustrophobic, but I imagine if I stayed in a confined, I if I stayed in my, my house for that yeah. amount of time, I would struggle. Yeah. Did you ever notice or just, face, or you had so much of a team and you had a job and you're working together? Oh yeah. It never kind of yeah. entered your mind. Well, you, well, one thing is you're you you're highly trained. I mean, they train you a lot, and so when it comes to like the the casualties, so biggest thing is. You know, the, the worst thing that could happen is, right, is you get flooding, like a pipe breaks, or you get a steam line rupture, or you get a fire. If you get a fire on a submarine, guess what? There's no place for that smoke to go instantly. It just gets pitch black in there. Yeah. So just for an example, on a fire, you had to know, one of the things they train you on is they have these masks, and the mask goes on your face, rubber, rubber um, mask. Hose goes down to a little regulator that mounts on your belt, and then you have a little hose with the fitting. And then throughout the sub there's little manifolds with quick releases, just like, you yeah. know, on your air compressor for your nail gun. And there'd be these manifolds throughout the sub. And you had to know where every single one of them was yeah. because you had to be able to go from one end of the boat to the other, blacked out mask, holding your breath between. So yeah. like you'd, be, you know, if the, there was a fire, there wasn't enough, they called them OBAs. It's kind of like the modern day firefighters, SCBAs. It's a tank. It's, it's different, but it's a tank that gives you your own air where you can move around. But that yeah. was just for the firefighters. Like a rebreather. Everybody else. Well, this was called an OBA, oxygen breathing apparatus, and it did a, uh, it had a chemical reaction that made oxygen. Oh, nice. It's kind of interesting. Oh. But but so for most everybody else, you had your mask, and you'd find a you'd find a manifold, and you'd plug in, and you'd sit there, 
and somebody can come running up to you and they can plug into yours and you might have six or seven guys standing <laughs> there and the guy's like okay i need to head to my damage control station so he'd one two three he'd hold his breath unplug go booking down the hallway and find the next one and plug in <laughs> Damn. so that but so you know you had to be able to do that stuff yeah and so they they train you on that and so you when you train on stuff it's just like anything else right you train to shoot move communicate you train in jujitsu right to fight and then when you actually have a real fight that training just kicks right in and you you've already done the repetitions and it's and it's not too hard to do Dang. training does is a factor but then sometimes when you're in it it can be overwhelming or like oh my god this isn't what i thought well, yeah. it would and it's not for everybody yeah, yeah, yeah you know it's not for everybody and that's why you know, like say nuclear power school we you know, when there's guys that weren't nuclear trained, they were on subs too, and they they had to go through submarine uh, damage control school, or I think, or not, what was it called? I forget because we didn't go through it as nukes because they said, well, you guys, we're not going to put you through this. But other guys that weren't nuclear trained, they'd make them. You've seen in the videos, or what you may have seen online, or like something. The firefighting. Yeah, guys. they like they put them in a room, and all of a sudden, a pipe water starts spraying out. And the water starts filling up, and they have to run over and put a band clamp on it and figure it out. And some another thing might be leaking, and this thing's filling with water. And a lot of guys would just panic, panic. and freak out, and they yeah. couldn't do it. And so if you couldn't pass that training, then they just wouldn't let you on there. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. yeah. Dang. How was the food? We got... It was kind of cool on subs. We got better food than the rest of the Navy. That's so what I've heard. It's kind of like we want to treat you guys a little better. So yeah. we'd have uh, we'd have steak and lobster once in a while. And <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it was pretty nice. Yeah, I'm joining nice. the Navy boys. Right? We'll see you. But later. I will say, at one Ice point, every night. We, were, <laughs> yeah. we were coming back in, and for two days, all we had was Jello and pickles. Oh Jesus! Because oh. they had ran out, and that's the <laughs> thing, right? Those boats can stay out. For as unlimited as, as time, as humans can survive. Unlimited yeah. time, right? We made our own water. We could make our own oxygen. We could get rid of the CO two. We could, you know. But it was the human factor that was there, right? It was yeah. not having carrying enough food to to take care of a crew. So no one ever brings a fishing pole, and you're like, let's yes, pop up for do, a right? minute or two. I mean, here, <laughs> grow some microgreens <laughs> and a little <laughs> yeah. kelp. Come yeah. on, <laughs> absolutely. But no, but that was the that was the thing. So, yeah. huh. so then. Being in the service at the end of the Cold War there, did you guys ever do any of the floats where you're sneaking into, like, Vladivostok or into – which yeah. actually, were you in the Atlantic or yeah. the No, I was, I was Westpac, so, okay. yeah. So did you Vladivostok, ever, may, I may or may not have seen that through the – Through the periscope? Through a periscope. Well, okay. not Vladivostok, but, you yeah. know, Another a port. bunch of trees on a shore, and they said, yeah, yeah. that's Russia. Oh, okay. But we did have one pretty cool time where we – we were over there, and there was a Russian military exercise going on. So there was actually ships and helicopters oh, yeah. and things in the air. Nice. And we came up, and they actually came up. We came up to periscope depth and had video. So there was time we were, you know, guys would – so you'd stay on a six-hour watch. So you'd be on watch for six hours, and then some guy – the next guy would eat his food, come back and relieve you. You'd go up and eat your food and then and then go to bed or work or whatever. Um but we were sitting there in cruise mess eating, and they'd have the videos of this of missiles getting fired off of Russian ships and yeah. stuff, and helicopters flying over, and it was pretty cool. So we felt That's pretty awesome. pretty sneaky. In a situation like that, uh, are submarines? I mean, I feel like they're versatile in that they can be used for like reconnaissance and information gathering because you're underwater and oh, it's yeah. a little harder to see. But oh, then yeah. also that same element of surprise gives you a decent ability to attack and be oh, unknown. Yeah. 
So, yeah, well, that was that was the whole thing, right? During the Cold War, yeah. is a cat and mouse, right? They had their ballistic missile submarines, yeah. right? We had our ballistic missile submarines, and it's the mutually assured destruction, right? To where, yeah. hey, you guys mess with us, we're going to nuke you. Oh, yeah, well, we'll nuke you. Okay, well, let's not nuke each other. Okay. You know, you respected each other. It was peace through strength, right? Yeah. And so they called us a strategic deterrent, right? It's like you knew, <laughs> they yeah. knew that that, you know, that that ballistic missile sub coming right out of Bangor was cruising off and down, you know, and, and had missiles aimed right at, you know, Moscow, Moscow. and Vladivostok and, you know, all these different places. And so they, you know, they, they, but so what they would do is their fast attack boats would try to find our, our missile boats and our fast attack boats, which was what I did. We tried to track their ballistic missile subs because if we could hang out off the coast there near one of their bases, and then we could catch one of their ballistic missile subs leaving. coming out of the pen. That's yep. right. I watched Hunt for Red. <laughs> and October. if we could, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and if we could, and if we could sneak up behind them and then follow them without them knowing we're there, well, shoot. If all of a sudden they say, "Yeah, it's going down," they're going to launch missiles. We shoot a torpedo and take them out, yep. and boom, we've we've saved how many hundreds of thousands yep. of lives. Denver. Wow. Yeah, whatever. So, so that was the thing they were trying to do. They were doing it to us, and we were doing it to them for a lot. That was the main thing. So our spec op was cruising around in a box, trying to find one of their yeah. ballistic missile subs coming out, so that we could track them. Did you guys ever have any tense moments with <laughs> Russian subs? Kind of not 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 hunter? Russian subs. Uh, I'd tell you, but I'd have to kill you. But um, no, <laughs> no. But we did have a off the coast of Thailand. We were there, and I don't know. I'm not sure what nation it was. If it that was that had a boat, but it was like a patrol boat that actually shot at our sub. Oh shit! We were on the surface cruising along, yeah. and some heavy cow machine gun shot at our sub. <laughs> and from what I I can't confirm this, and I was kind of just a lowly mechanic in the in the engine room. But from what I was told was that we were able to do some kind of maneuvers to where we swept the tail of the boat out and took out this patrol boat somehow yeah. by maneuvering towards it or something. But oh. but there was big chips and it didn't even dent the metal yeah. it chipped the paint but yeah. you can see these heavy caliber huh. machine gun rounds on there it was like what the heck who's fine i don't know uh, if they're pirates or what yeah. it was yeah oh, I, didn't, I didn't have actually, a lot of the details on that yeah. You know? but yeah there was that and then another kind of exciting well it wasn't even exciting but we followed some drug lord on a sailboat for a while tracked him so just getting to your point is that um yeah, being pretty stealthy. I mean, he had no idea he had a nuclear submarine tracking him. Uh, that couldn't have been like a mission of the Navy. What was that like? The Hello. Coast Guard I was like, yeah, or the CIA it might have been the CIA's <laughs> boat. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Back yeah. then, yeah. dude, South it was America. like, hey, follow this, follow yeah. this sailboat until we can get to you. And the then, agency wants you to provide crazy. security for this uh, this <laughs> yeah, boat this full of vessel. Uh, cargo. Who do you think was eating better, steak and lobster underwater or the know. drug lord on his yacht? <laughs> that one was above my pay grade at the time, but yeah. Yeah, but that's cool. So, so, you know, there's interesting stuff. Yeah, oh, absolutely. What's what's the depth that you guys go down to? Well, we could go down, you know, it used to be greater than 400 feet and greater in excess of 20 knots. You know, that's that the best I can tell you. For most boats, Say it might right? be between like 1299 and 1301, oh, something like that. That is crazy. Well, I don't know, roughly. What do you think the surface pressure well, on the hole is <laughs> at that depth? Well, how, you, you do, the, do the math, right? 13, 1,300 inch. feet divided by 33 feet per atmosphere, right? Was it 14 point? Seven. Yeah, it's, just that, it's that simple math. <coughs> yeah. Carry the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody pull their phone out. <laughs> you said, all right, what did you say? 1,300 divided by what? Well, so divided by 33. 
So it's 33 feet per atmosphere, right? Okay. I hope I'm doing this right. Somebody would, somebody would put in the comments, you're wrong. Yeah. And then, so what, what does that come out to? 39.39. Times 14.7. 579 is that pounds? So that must be PSI. Yeah, okay. That'd be PSI. Okay, that's actually less atm- than I thought atmospheric. It would be. 14. 14.7. Yeah, yeah PSI. Okay. So, but you think? But one thing we used to do is we would we would when we knew we were going down to test depth, right? So that's our test depth. So we didn't know we didn't do that very often. Normally, you just cruise down 400 feet. You just cruising. You're plenty deep, yeah. right? But it's like, what's the deepest we need to go? So we would do that test. And so yeah, everybody's everybody's up and, you know, watching and you know, and people are, you know, walking around and checking pipes and looking, making sure nothing's leaking. Is the boat growing? And they would and like incrementally. Creaking? Well, what we do is in the in the lower level of the engine room, we'd tie a string across. Oh, oh my god. And so then as the boat went down, the surface this bitch, get me out. The string started dropping, man, and it would drop like a foot. Yep, dude. <laughs> And then, and when we get, we get down low and, and, you know, they just do incremental, they drop, you know, another 50, hundred feet, 50, hundred feet. And everybody's checking and looking at stuff. Cause you know, they're making sure that, Hey, we don't, nothing <laughs> yeah. bad to happen. Holy shit. And then they're okay. We're going to go back up. So then we tighten the string back up. And by the time we got up halfway up, it would break the string. So whose idea was that? <laughs> that was just fun. We just, well, we knew, uh, <laughs> we knew <laughs> that the, this thing's gonna, <laughs> yeah, we knew so, the hole was compressing, you know? Wow. So do you use a particular, or is this, can you speak about this? Do they use a particular type of alloy or something that has, you know, it can flex and of go the steel? Well, yeah. Well, oh, it's still like, maintaining I think it's, strength. I think it was called HY80, I think is what the, I mean, like, see, so you can probably Google it. The alloy. Get more, you can probably get more information on yeah, Google yeah, yeah. than I could give you being there just because back then, you know, we did, but yeah, it's no, it's, yeah, it's a super high. But then, well, and that was just for, that's just for the sub, the hole and everything. But then we started getting into the reactor plant stuff, you know, the Inconel valves and stuff oh, and yeah. the Monel, these different high, I mean, these valves, they would, they would, you know, here we are, these, you know, 20 year old guys and they're like, Hey, this valve you're working on is worth 30, 30, $35,000. Well, that was a lot back then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But this, this one little valve, so don't cross thread it. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you get guys that would, you know, Give me that impact wrench. I'm going to drive this bitch home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you never use in- impact wrenches. You couldn't use cheater bars on anything, you know, yeah. but yeah. we did have one incident where we were, we're cruising across the Pacific. And we're on our way to Japan, so we'd leave San Diego and we'd head to Japan. It'd take a couple weeks, so we're cruising over there, and they're like, "We're having problems with the evaporator working, and, and there's a, a valve on there that's that's bad." And so the evaporator is eight thousand gallon per day um, steam distilling plant. So that's where all our water came from on the boat. So this is a pretty important piece of equipment. And so it was my job was was to work on the valves and stuff on it. Well, we're trying to do this work, and we couldn't get these the nuts off of the of the yoke on it to do the maintenance the stuff on it. They're like, we need to fix this. And they're like, well, we need to get it done. And I'm like, I can't, we can't get the nuts off. So we might have to cut them off or grind them off. Or... And so literally they're like, hey, nobody can take showers. We're on rationing water. And so they're like, where we need you to fix this. So I'm down there and I've got my, my, my leading petty officers behind me. So the guy right above me, then the chiefs above him, and then the engineering officers behind him. And then literally the captain was back there too like looking down and watching me in this tight little spot trying to do this maintenance on this valve. And I look up and I'm like, Hey chief, I go, if I could, if I could use my feet or a cheater bar, I might be able to get this off. And he uh, goes, yeah. he, and he looks and I think somebody heard it and they hear the captain go, do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I got up, I got up, put this cheater bar on there and I got up with my back against some piping and I put my feet out at the end and I just pushed with all my might. Yeah. And it just, you heard this like a Pipe. gun, a gunshot. Yeah. 
and it broke the socket. Like it, it was that it was that rusted on. Finally, they're like, okay, grind it off. So we had to grind it off, and it was kind of a pain in the rear because it was yeah. a lot more work. But oh, yeah. but it was pretty funny. Yeah. When, when you got to survive, um, sometimes some of the rules go out the window. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what they do. I love that though. The captain. Do Just it. do it. Yeah. Get it yep. done. Yep. At the end of the day, that's what you got to do. That was pretty funny. Uh, what does a captain of a submarine do? I mean, he's just kind of overseeing every, like, just putting out every little fire and every oh, yeah. little. Yeah, he's well, you know, he's, he's responsible. He's like the center of the nervous system almost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As long as everything goes well, he's doing his job. Um, anything that goes wrong, he's fired. I mean, anytime yeah. a, you hear a sub that runs aground or, you know, we, oh, there's a couple the, of boats you know that have run aground or there's, you've had some kind of issues or problems. The first thing they do is just fire the captain. I'm like, that's kind of cheap, but you've got, you've got a lot, you get a lot of responsibility on your back, man. Those yeah. guys. That's what I mean. It's like, how can you really oversee everything or you're just depending on the people to be in charge of those departments to be efficient and reporting honestly and good communication back to yeah. you. Well, and you know, something too is the morale of the people. Like if you've got a good leader and I think this is a good lesson in life in general, right? If you've got a good leader and the people feels like I, I talk about, I just had a podcast recently on my podcast talk about inspire, motivate, and support when you have people that are underneath you. If you're in a supervisory position, you want to inspire them, you know, you want to motivate them to do good things. You want to support them in what they're doing. And so if you're, if you're getting that IMS, right, that good inspiration, motivation, then you're going to work hard for people. You're going to want to do a good job. You're not going to want to let them down. Yeah. But when you got crappy leadership, then that just goes downhill. You know, it's like, Oh, Hey, we're not going to get that Liberty port that we promised you now we have to work harder. And, um, you know, they treat people poorly. They don't work as hard or work as well. Things don't work quite as smooth over time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it is, is being a good leader is, is supporting the people, making sure and, and overseeing, making sure that each division officer, it's like span of control, right? We have that in the fire service. You can yeah. only you can over, only oversee so many people, right? Three to five. Three to seven is yeah. the range. Five is about ideal. If you start yeah. getting more than that, then you start forming sectors, divisions, groups, so that you can spread that chain of command out. It's like yep. the military or anything else. Yeah. And so they've got, you know, the weapons officer. He's in charge of the all the torpedoes, all the countermeasures, all the small arms for the watchstanders. There's the... Um, you know, the engineering officer, he's in charge of the, you know, all the engineering spaces. There's, um, what are some of the other ones? Jeez. But, you know, you got the, 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 the sonar guys, the radio guys. I mean, there's all these different divisions of the boat, and they've all got officers overseeing chiefs that are overseeing leading petty officers. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, that's, yeah. A big, that's a big part of it, I think, is that he, he inspires, motivates, supports his men. They're making sure that their groups are doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing and less likely to make a mistake or, you know, things going bad, so. Yeah. But you know, stuff happens. Yeah. I, in fact, I think I saw in the the guardfish's history that it was run aground in 1968 or something like that. And I remember <laughs> thinking like, ooh, I bet the captain was fired the moment they got that thing unstuck. Uh, yeah, yeah. Run aground meaning just hit hit the bottom. Well, yeah, it hits the bottom. It can be anything from running into an, an underground mountain which uh which a, a boat recently did I forget which one it was, not the Louisville, but there was one that like the whole sonar dome, there's pictures of it online of the sonar dome being smashed in. And, oh, um, but yeah, that hit an uncharted undersea mountain, anything from that to pulling in, we were pulling into Okinawa and the boat, they, they rubbed the bottom along this big giant pier. They just, they rubbed the bottom. Well, that's technically running aground. So, um, yeah, <laughs> right. 
could be serious or not so serious. So. Do you spend a lot of time in Japan? Um, yeah, actually we did. Yeah, we went to Yokosuka there and pulled in there. Did you and get leave? You pull in there and you fix everything that's um, that's broken on the. Oh yeah, yeah, you get time off when you're there. It's Japan, I've always that I, that's yes. my bucket list place for me, for is me Japan. As well. It's interesting in, in the islands of like Okinawa and stuff. Yeah, we went to Okinawa, went to you know Yokosuka and Japan, and and then from there we went visited Tokyo and stuff. But it's really weird, like you know, people talk about racism in the U.S. Oh, oh, you go overseas there no there was places you'd go and they oh japanese only japanese only like yeah. they just wouldn't even let you in I, I have a friend who was married to a japanese immigrant woman and he had to sell his car because it was korean made it was like a kia or something like that and she's like we're not having that piece of trash in our driveway well i mean like, i say the same thing around my house but. <laughs> yeah, kia, that's a kia, come on people love to talk about racism in the u.s yeah. asians are freaking racist oh, dude yeah no yeah. But no, but it was interesting, and then it was really expensive back then. So, like a pit to buy a pitcher of beer, you know, was like twenty bucks, which was that was outrageous back then, right? Yeah. You know, and and um, so it was really expensive. But it was interesting, you know. We we toured and went to the big the big Buddha statues and stuff. Yeah, and Thailand was cool. We went to um, went to Thailand and got liberty there, and and uh, got to go to uh, Bangkok and stuff. And oh, yeah. That was really fun. That was. I was a diver on the boat too. So on the sub, they have um, a dive locker where they have guys that can go get auxiliary training and scuba. So we went to Navy scuba school and, uh, you know, you're, you're there with, uh, 27 recon Marines and me and two other sailors. And we're like, Holy crap. <laughs> These are like the force recon guys going through their dive school. So that yeah. was really fun. But Thailand, we had to, we had to dive the anchor and it was a seven knot current. Oh, Oh, and so we're like literally holding on to a rope because you have to dive the anchor to make sure that it's not fouled before they pull it back up. Are and you, so, oh, so, so the anchor's already down. And you're yeah, anchor's down, down. Anchor's down. We're getting ready to leave. So they want to pull that back up. And so before they do, they want to make sure that there's, How you deep know, was it? I think it's like 70 feet. Holy shit. I mean, something in, like that. Are you on nitrous at that point? In, or is oh, no, 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 no. no. 130. We can go to 130 feet yeah. on just regular. Uh, and you're on, on a scuba there. tank for this. Yeah, just scuba. Yeah. Just and scuba diving. tied off to something? or We, we had a rope. We just we just held on to this rope. <laughs> <laughs> we were like kicking as hard as we could, and you couldn't. You couldn't fight the current, and so we were just uh -huh. like, hey, hold on to this rope. <laughs> we just, you know, the like anchor blown in the window. The anchor chain. Oh the, no, yeah. the anchor chain's there, and so you're kind of right there by the anchor chain. And if you came up the surface, they would a guy with a small boat. They could have grabbed you. But Do you okay. still dive? I haven't done much lately. I was with the fire department. I was a uh, um, got a rescue swimmer program going okay. for the. Uh, for the fire department. Have you dove so, in the Puget Sound? Um, not for a long time. I just ha I haven't done much lately. You know, I got it's, so spoiled diving in the hot, beautiful <laughs> yeah. eighty-nine degree water in Guam and yeah, Southeast Asia, oh, with, Philippines, yeah. and oh, so well, nice. But, this, but now when you got a couple times, you got you to put on so much wets. Well, and yeah. now the wetsuits have gotten better, but um, oh yeah, you know, you're like yeah. Ralph E's brother on the you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Christmas yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. Help me, you can't move. So, what was the visibility? Down there in the Guam oh. and stuff. Was it just oh, oh Guam? Like Guam, yeah. you can see forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 150, you know, I mean, long ways. Yeah. But yeah. we did dive a couple places where it was, you couldn't see anything in front of you. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, I uh, took my, my dive in, uh, what was it? Probably Edmonds. No, it w I've been in Edmonds, but down a little bit further south. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. and it is. It is not you can't see murky, anything. murky, yeah. murky. Yeah, it just yeah, depends. Doing so like it's a good day. Stuff. It's ten foot. No, yeah, yeah it, like de awesome. it depends where you're at too. Yeah, but no, we had a rescue we were trying to do for the fire department off of Muckleteo there, and um, 
I was out there just, you know, breath hold snorkeling. And this guy had, was on a little, him and his girlfriend went out. He's on first date, right? They meet on, what are, what are the online dating things? Grinder Or whatever, yeah, whatever they are. Oh, sorry, I that's know. Jordan. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's one of the things about being uh, married 30 years, right? You have no idea what online dating uh, is like. <laughs> but um, It's hard. This guy, <laughs> this guy met somebody. And, and she, they go, let's meet down there. And he goes, I'll put up some crab pots and make us some, make us some food, you know? So he goes out on the little Sevy lure raft and she's watching him and, and the boat starts, and he falls overboard and oh, disappears. No. And so she's calling 911. Oh my God. Oh my oh. God. So I get there and they're later like, well, we think he's gone, but why don't we put you in the water? And I'm like, okay. And so I go out there and you can, I mean, you can, can't even see a foot in front of your face. But that's not how I want to find a dead body, by the way, is well, to go into dark water and. That, that to me has always seemed like one of the most awful jobs. Oh yeah. yeah. No, it, it's a little, it's a little spooky, yeah. but, but I'm, but here inside, I'm like literally like praying like, God, help me find this guy. Help me find this. Let me see something. Yeah. But so I, I go to where he went down and I dove down, you know, cause we just breath hold dive and you know, it was about 12, 15 feet. Yep. I go down and I see nothing. And then there's about a foot of kelp on the ground on the bottom. So when, even when I do get to the bottom, I'm like reaching around in there. So I do in as many dives as I can. Just I'm like, I can't do this by myself. So then I just start doing a grid pattern back and forth. And people are saying, oh, he must be down there because the current's going this way. They'd throw a life vest in the water, and it would go down by the, the, ferry, top. the ferry docks. The yeah. So they go, oh, the current's going that way. So I'd kind of search that way. But I'm like, oh, I don't know. Well, that was the wind. Yeah. And so I, I was out there for an hour. Oh, and the funny thing was is – um. My booties, I had my, we had been training, and for some reason my booties weren't in my gear. So I'm oh, wearing, wow. I'm, I'm not wearing booties, and you know I got the fins that need booties, Ooh. so my feet are rubbed, rubbed raw. bloody raw. Ugh. But um, but yeah, I, I looked as long as I could, and after around an hour they just pulled me out, and uh, but then when the tide went out, they found him close to where he where he went down. Where he went down. So yeah, dang. But um, but yeah. So anyways, yeah, the, the murky waters and. The, yeah, shitty date. Murky waters in strong. I know. Can you imagine being that gal? Yeah. <laughs> I'm never dating again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Deleting this app. What happened on your last date? Oh, well. Let me tell you. You don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's fresh. Uh, well, yeah. That, that took the wind out of my sails for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that water is scary. I mean, that's why being in a submarine is so scary. Oh, it's yeah. like we're talking about you this can't stuff. See out and of it. I've oh, done yeah. a lot of boating and fishing in the, uh, the San Juans. And, like, you go diving there. When that current gets ripping in those islands, it's like there's – even if you're in a boat, it can get dangerous. Being yeah. in the water can get dangerous. Being confined and, like, on the ships and being in all these open waters. I mean, it is as beautiful as it is being in the water like that. There is an element that yeah. it's – that's why going to the ocean – and standing in front of waves is humbling. Or being there at night, it's just you hear that ripping and roaring. Oh, and, yeah. and it's kind of crazy that man has traversed seas from the Pacific to the Atlantic to yeah. all these areas. Yeah. If you go to if you go to the course. water if you go to the water survival school, did you go through water survival at Fairchild? No. You go through the water survival training. Me and a, a buddy got that was kind of a cool story too. But uh, they have a big lo logo there. It says the ocean makes cowards of us all. Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> a sure. giant octopus. Yeah. But yeah, me and a buddy at the fire department got to go through the. We're the only civilians who've been able to go through the dunker training. Oh, is that healer right? dunker training at yeah. Fairchild. That was kind of cool. Is that where the helicopter? Yeah, it goes, goes hits the water, yeah, rolls yeah, over, yeah. and you got to yeah, wait. Yeah. And escape out. But there's no. a uh, that's cool. There's an infamous video of a Marine Corps uh, 
CH-46 attempting a landing on an aircraft carrier, and it hooks a wheel on the netting around the edge oh, and flips over upside netting. down. Yeah. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. So when I contracted for the agency, one of the guys on my team was the sole survivor of that crash. Whoa. Shit. Yeah. Talk about wild shit. Well, the, um, and that thing that thing hits the ocean and it just disappears. Yeah. Not like it floated for a sec and then <coughs> turned on its side and went under. It just goes boom, immediately gone. Yeah. Yeah. There was a guy that I worked with at the fire department. His name was Kurt Lowe. Amazing guy. He get, he's another one. Me and him and two other guys got fired for the not taking the not taking the vaccine. The guy's awesome. He was a was a captain for a lot of years and mentor of mine. And he was a, a Navy rescue swimmer and he was on a chopper that went in the water and he made it out with a couple other people and a bunch of people didn't make it out. Dang. And he's got that that yeah. story. But um yeah, no, it's well and it's funny you're talking about being scared. People ask that, well, were you scared going underwater? It's funny because when I first showed up down there, like you know, I get out of all my all my training schools. I'm going to my first boat. I show up in San Diego and I'm in flip flops and a fluorescent <laughs> yellow. This is '87, right? '89. Uh, fluorescent yeah. side fluorescent Nike, you know, with a yeah. fluorescent yeah. thing on there. Do you have and I got the my zinc o- oxide yeah. on your nose. Yeah. Yeah. And I go down there and and I'm like, um, yeah, where's the you know? I'm supposed to be on the guardfish and blah blah. And he goes, the guy goes, oh, I'm on the guardfish. Come on down. And he's addressed in his dungarees. And I'm like, are you sure? And he goes, oh yeah, come on. It's like a Saturday. I go down there and he takes me onto the boat and the the officer that's on duty that day is there and I'm like standing there all freaked out and he's like, I oh, don't worry about it, dude. But um when when you first get to the boat, you know, you okay, we'll show up on Monday morning and you show up and you crawl down inside and it kinda it really stinks and it's tight quarters, but you know, then you go to lunch and then you come back and then you're working on stuff and then maybe in a two weeks, three weeks you go out to sea for a couple of days. But when you when you go out to sea the sub, the, the tugboat pulls up next to you, ties on to you, pulls you away from the dock. They take you out a little ways, push you out towards the ocean, and you cruise along for a little bit. And the boat's rocking and rolling because it, it's they're not designed for the surface, right? Right. And so we had this one senior chief that nobody really liked him, and he was when he was the, the officer or the engine room engineering watch supervisor. So that's the the chief that would watch the all the engine space but he would come down and he'd always get seasick and so he'd be down there i'd be in engine room lower level taking my logs and he's over there puking in the bilge and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) asshole nobody likes you (laughs) but um but we you'd go out to you'd go out a ways and then you'd get to the point where you dive the boat angles down and it goes flat and then it's all quiet it's just smooth like you could be the roughest seas but when you're down it's kind of like diving right yeah when you're down underwater you just cruise, and once in a while, the boat will go like this and like this. Yeah. Sometimes it'll lean a little bit if they take a sharp corner, but not much. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, you don't really think about the fact that you're you just – because this is just where you work every you day. No, yeah, your relativity is like nothing changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I did have one, one time where I was a little freaked out. I actually got scared, and we were doing some drills. And so a lot of times during the drills, they would – they would, you know, scram the reactor, which basically means it has, it's like if you trip a breaker at home, you know, oh, shoot, we had the microwave and the toaster oven run at the same time and the breaker tripped. Yeah. Okay, now you got to restart everything that was running, okay? So the reactor scram, and so then you got to restart that. Well, there's ways, the subs, the way they get to the surface is, usually they drive to the surface, so the propeller's turning, and they have, you the know, dive the dive planes, right? And they just angle those, and they just aim for the surface and propel themselves up, and then they get close, and then they put air into the tanks and it bobs up but they have what they call the chicken switches are near or in the control room and so yeah there's these these switches there and if this the shit's hitting the fan they reach up 
emergency blow, and they pull those handles and 4,500 PSI air blows into all the tanks, and that thing just comes to the surface like a cork, right? Boying as hell. So that's like yeah. your last resort, right? Um, so normally, you know, you've got this margin of error, but we were drilling, and we were pretty pretty deep, and we're down, and we lose, you know, reactor scram, we lose propulsion and all that, so we're like, okay, so we're pretty deep. And then all of a sudden, we're kind of at it. We have an up angle, but we're going backwards so we're sinking down and they're like hey get propulsion up get propulsion up you know and you can and somebody wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing what kind of speeds are you sinking at i don't i don't know what it was all i knew was we had we didn't have propulsion starting to shrink and we were not (laughs) we were not we were going we were our depth was increasing right and so and i'm like and you could hear people's voice like everybody's normally is just super cool yeah but then you hear start hearing the voices start getting tight a little cracking (laughs) this this isn't good and so then finally it's like emergency blow and it's like it's like i'm like holy crap to actually do yeah. To actually do an emergency like blow, yeah, yeah, because and that, that's what they think ended up sinking the the thresher was they lost repulsion and when they went to do the emergency blow, the air the valves froze up because they didn't have the dryers that dried the air, yeah, and so the the strainers and the valves actually froze and so the air couldn't get to the tanks and oh, then shit. it just went down and. So when you guys dive, because so you fill the ballast tanks with water, correct to dive. Well, yeah, technically, yeah, you let the air out and the water just... So there's vent, so vents there, on the bottom, just open grates, and there's valves on the top, and the split in the middle, so there's right and left side, port and starboard. And then uh, the valve opens, and then the water just... Whoosh, you, you see this psh, yeah. air blasting out the top and goes up, fills with water, and so then now it's negatively buoyant, the sub is. So is it, are, are there massive compressors that just sit there full? Oh, yeah. Well, we got these high-pressure air compressors. Yeah, they're high packs. Yeah, yeah. But they must have to be pressurized before you dive. Yeah. Well, you have air tanks. You get giant, huge air banks, huge cylinders. In, they're actually inside the – I think they are in. They were inside the ballast tanks. But, yeah, giant tanks, you know, air compressor tanks. Like, you know, on your, on your air compressor, you got the big tank. Yep. Huge, yep. huge, huge yeah, tanks of those. Yeah. yeah. What do they pressurize those to? You know? 4,500 PSI. Shit. Yeah. But then at some point those won't work at a certain depth. No, 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 no. Those won't right. No, no, no. Because the cabin's pressure. No, no, no. Yeah, that's plenty of air. Yeah, that's plenty of air. To push the to push pushes the water out. Right out. Okay. Plenty. Plenty of air. Yeah. I wasn't sure at like a certain depth that the pressure We did the calculations. It's thirteen. It's Fourteen. Yeah. What's what's the deepest a sub has ever gone? Do you know? You know, I don't, but it's kind of funny that I mean, not funny. It's sad, but you, th- uh, you guys. Well, that, that, you guys I was just gonna say this. Right, that 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 Everett just went straight to the current bottom. event. The Titan. Yeah, the <laughs> Titan. <laughs> well, and, and you want to hear something interesting? Is that um, is that so? When I so at the fire, this, you know, when the fire department canned me, I was like, okay, shoot, what am I gonna do? Make money, and you know, I was a contractor. We, between after getting out of the Navy, and I, I did a couple other jobs. I was a general contractor for a while. I was like, well, I can always swing a hammer. But I'm like, what if, what would I really want to do? Well, I knew that they had that sub company down in Everett, Ocean Gate, because we had actually been on calls down there. They had a little fire where some batteries burned in a <laughs> container behind their building. So you're saying they don't have a great safety record? <laughs> that, I have no, I have no judgment whatsoever on the on them. And I, I, my heart, you know, obviously my heart goes out for, the, you know, the the owner and the families of the people, but um. But yeah, so I was like, that would be flipping rad to go do that, right? And so I knew what I knew the way their 
business works. So they, the way their subs work is they have this, their own little mini floating kind of a floating dock and it had ballast tanks on it and they, their little sub, they'd put it on there and they could tow it with a smaller, like not a huge boat. And they, they could just tow it out into the sound and then they'd drop, the, they'd fill the ballast tanks and the little dock would go down and then the sub would just cruise off and cruise around and do its thing and come back and they raise it back up and they tow it back in. So they didn't have all the expensive costs of the big, yeah. like when the Titanic expedition they did, yes, they did because they had to have all that support out there. But, um, so I was like, I went down there. I'm like, Oh cool. I want to, I want to go down there and check it out. And I found out online they were hiring. So I went down there and two guys were coming out in a truck and I said, Hey, yeah, I go, yeah, my name is Brent, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I was, I was, I'm a, you know, I was thinking about applying for a job. I saw you guys in an opening. They're like, okay, cool. Yeah. Just turn in the online. And I'm like, yeah, I, was, I worked on subs in the Navy. And also they kind of look at me like, oh, cool. You know? And, and then I go, yeah. And I go, well, I was a Navy diver too. Cause I knew they used divers. Oh, interesting. I see. I've been in fire department for the last 20 years and you know, rescue swimmer and stuff, EMT. They're like, dude, you're overqualified. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, hey. And so they go, come back in an hour. So I came back and the guy started giving me a tour of the whole place down there. So he walked me through, showed me all the different submersibles they had. And it was, it's a cool, cool operation. And the one that, you know, the one that went down, I, I, I walked, I was able to sit inside of it and look inside of it. Whoa. And yeah, no, I saw that, saw it all open. And from just uh, glancing at eyes on being there, did it look like a piece of equipment that, you know, could withstand or that's just unreal? You know, it's so hard to make those kind of judgments. You know, there's so many, when you start, when the, when the, when your margin of error goes down, that's where things become really important, right? Yeah. Like when you're, whether you're, you're in space or whether you're 13,000 feet underwater, right? That's where you're, you don't have, have a margin of error. And that's like what happened with the thresher. You know, here's a submarine doing its trials and, and one little thing that can go wrong. It's not like you're on a boat, you know, out on the sound and, hey, my propulsion's out. And, oh, I can just float and call the Coast Guard or even just jump in the water. Hit a bank. There's yeah. nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that's why they have s so many you know, regulations and rules and standards and all that. And with, and after that, they implemented the thing called subsafe, which is a, like every part that we would like, if we need to do maintenance and I needed an O-ring, it was in a, it was in a labeled package and they could control, they knew where that rubber was taken out of the ground. Like that made that O-ring like every Part which, of the, which tree in Brazil? Yeah, every the, part of the process that made these different parts, they could control and knew what was going on. And so, like when we did maintenance on a, we had these giant R one fourteen air air conditioning units that cooled the sub down in the hot weather. Well, we the, the the end of this thing, this bell is like you know six feet in diameter, huge. You need rigging chains to pull it off, and there was like thirty or forty bolts all the way around the outside. Well, you had to torque those to a certain spec, and there was a guy who's job was is just to watch you torquing those and he had a piece of paper and it said number one number two number three and you had to do your star pattern on all yeah. these 40 bolts and take this down to you know 30 inch pounds take that one down now do them all then go to 40 then go to 50 i mean it was super super so when you've got a company like that that's you know Trying to do Hit something it with the impact driver. Trying to do something on the on <laughs> the joystick cheap, from you know. camping world. Yeah, it's just it's just tough because 
you know, what's the margin of error that's there? And um, so, yeah, they, you know, apparently too much, but, but But, you know what though? That's to me, that's the spirit of adventure, man. I mean, something happened. They knew the risk there. Look at the people who crossed the country in wagon trains to get to the West coast. I love people like that. If it was safe, it wouldn't be cool. Exactly. Step out and do something, you know, exciting and, you know, and innovate. To talk about that margin of error thing, like the, the military and like the fire department and all these units are so great. And you said this earlier, you said whenever something bad happens, it seems like a new rules written. And that is the history of the fire department of the military. When a major catastrophe happens, well, now we change our doctrine and what our training protocol is. We didn't know about this thing until it happened, and now we're going to create a new rule. And when you have a company, or not a company, when you have like the Navy that's had a history of doing this for so long, well, we've had, we've gone through the ups, we've gone through the downs, we've seen what can happen when you don't do this, when you don't do that. That's why we have this new rule. And even though there is that sense of adventure, which I think we should all have, it's like, yeah, man, you don't have the experience, though. You have hundreds of years of maritime experience when it comes to the Navy and stuff like yeah. that. But here's my thing. Are you gonna Are you gonna tell a guy, hey, you can't go out there and do that? No, go nuts. You know, like, but I'm not. You going can't get in that. a sailboat and head off towards Hawaii. Why not? Uh, because you need to fill out these forms and do this stuff. It's oh like, no, I, I love this. There's people that. out doing that kind of. You shit. Know, it's like, hey, you can't take those people down there. Now I can understand if you're if they're paying money and uh, I don't, you I'd know say, I, they they paid money and signed the but, waiver. But that's the thing, right? Yeah, where does personal liberty come in, and where does you know government overreach and people? And so I'm all about personal liberty being able to do because you know 100 people yeah. people get hurt people die in life that's just the way life is sometimes and you can't that's the way life is every time but if exactly, i'm a, right if i'm exactly. a consumer so. i rather go see the titanic with the navy yeah than i do with a company sure. out of ever but you got to think right it's like do those people not know that hey there's a bunch of risk here i mean I, oh, i'm, yeah, I'm yeah, betting yeah, they yeah, signed yeah, a waiver they signed multiple are, waivers and it's not like these were poor people no, they paid exactly. a quarter million each so they're they, people of means and probably education so they know what they're getting themselves yeah, into they they had a, a ticket for that and they had a ticket for spacex you know what i mean like yeah they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, or, or climbing everest right and, yeah and they're, they're the guy that's gonna have somebody hold their hand while they're up on the hillary step lined up with 50 other people waiting to you know it's that guy we last, talked about like, in earlier frontiers, episodes, you know? they're, they're dressed in an Elvis costume and they're going to go jump 16 <laughs> school buses and get fired out of a cannon on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Dude, that sounds safer than going and seeing the Titanic, to be completely honest. <laughs> I don't know, man. I might I get know. in that submersible before I get in the cannon. Ah, dude, put that Elvis suit on me. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that was, um, yeah, that's a pretty ballsy day. I, I remember when I was talking to them, they were like, yeah, we're, we do, we're doing another Titanic, you know, expedition. And they were telling me about it. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. I went home to my wife. But but it was funny because I was sitting there with the guy and, and and he's like he's like, Yeah, well this is great. He goes, um he this lady came out and that was like their their HR lady or whatever and he goes, Yeah, this is so and so. He this is Brent. She goes he goes, Yeah, talk to her. He goes, I'll have you give her give her your information and stuff and she'll have some stuff for you to fill out and everything. And she goes and he looked at me and he goes, Of course you know you you, know, you gotta be vaccinated, right? You know, and I kinda just go uh-huh. <laughs> I kind of look at him, shake my head, and decide I'm thinking, oh, bummer. And he and he goes, yeah, you know, we do. And, you know, granted, they go overseas and stuff, and they travel, which at that yeah. point in time, it was like, oh, you can't. Mandatory. You yeah. can't go anywhere, right? And I just, I was just too. Too tired. Dejected. Of yeah. I was just like, okay. I didn't say anything. And I went home, and I shot him an email and said, you know, sorry to say that. Uh, 
And I found out later that that's the reason why they were hiring people is because they had to let three or four people uh, go. Yeah. Maybe wow. the vaccine has uh, saved, saved your, your life. life. <laughs> 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 or at least, yeah, no. Ridiculous. Well, that's something man. I also want to talk about is, yes. uh, is your time in the fire department. Well, hang on. Let's, let's take a pee break and then let's, let's wrap up Navy right there and take a pee break and come back and talk fire service. Okay. All right, pee break. We're back. We're back. Oh, we're back. Oh. Hello. Yeah. So we, we're done with Navy service. Let's talk. Uh, or did you have more Navy questions? No, no, I don't have any more Navy questions. I'm I'm can, curious about the fire. Yeah. When okay. did you, when did you start in fire, and what was your? Yeah. No. Um. So yeah. After after the Navy got out, came up here, worked for a company selling equipment to the Russian Far East for a while, and then and selling bearings and power transmission equipment stuff, electrical parts, and then I started. The guy said, "Hey, I want to partner work in construction." He just wanted a laborer that had their own contractor's <laughs> license, so I got my license, and then he had me doing the crap jobs. And so yeah. finally, I'm like, there was enough work out there, so I just started doing construction. So I did construction for four or five years and had a framing company. And um, but it was like that place where you need to either get big or stay really small. And I was just working, just working my butt off. And my wife's yeah. like, he's not happy. And she actually started praying for me, and she was like, God, what did you create this man to do? You know. And, um, I was like, and at the same time I was like, oh man, God, what do I, what should I do with my life? And besides this, right. Cause it's beaten, beaten you up. And, um, she, she and it, I, it's, it's similar. You shared a story earlier about seeing a fire, a building that was on fire. Right. Um, I had seen multiple within a short period of time, like car wrecks and different accidents where I was the first person there. And I remember seeing this out on 180th, this, this car wreck. I, I come driving up to the intersection. I'm kind of like, what's something doesn't seem right. And I see plastic in the road. I see a car over here up against a tree steaming. I see another car. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> and I get out and I, these two people are hunched over, bleeding over the steering wheel. And another guy's over there going on. Oh, I'm like, holy crap. I think I'm the first one here. And so yeah. I call 911 and these guys, firefighters show up and, they just are like, I'm like, what do I do? You know? And, and they're just like, click, click, On, click, click. Yeah, you know, yeah. they got the immediate actions down. And I'm like, man, that looks cool. But I never thought my wife would let me do it. Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> at the yeah. same time, I was coaching my daughter's basketball team. And one of the dads was a, was a, a medic for shoreline fire department. And, um, and he, and I said, Hey Lee, I go, what's it take to become a firefighter these days? And he's like, Oh yeah, you just got to test and stuff. And I thought there was affirmative action, you know, it's like, you got to, yeah. you know, do you have to be a minority or, you know, and he's like, no, he goes, they kind of got rid of that. We, we always, so what year was this? This was in 2002. Okay. So right shortly after that, about 2007, eight, when I was first trying to, Jen and I got married in 2008 and I promised I would stay home. And I man, I ended up contracting overseas with the with the agency for another two years. But during that time, I was looking for work at home, and uh, we had always heard that for a fire department opening, there's going to be two thousand applicants per opening, and if you're not female or minority, don't even bother. That's what I was told as well. That it had been that way. Excuse me. It had been that way, but they had changed it. There was the laws that actually changed. So uh, okay. they have civil service. Um, it, rules that are in place so it's very very rigid as far as but now the interesting thing is it's changing now it's it's changed it's, it's coming back now which they very well they very much are um discriminating based on your you know if you're 
skin color. Look like us, right? Straight white male, you're uh, less likely to get hired. Interesting. Um, yeah, than, than somebody that's not. When so. you need help in an emergency, what you care about is equity. Well, I, one thing I'll say about that time period when you got on was because I was kind of I, I was shortly after that when I was dabbling with firefighting. Is nine eleven happened, and everyone, in my opinion. Because I, I did those firefighting schools, everyone wanted to become a firefighter, oh, yeah, and here I am at like twenty years old, and I've got thirty year olds with MBAs okay. going to school for firefighting because they yeah. wanted to have a calling oh, yeah. and maybe more. No, of a we purpose. got we got lawyers, we got yeah. engineers. Like <laughs> one guy was a chemical engineer, one guy like, actually is still a practicing lawyer. Um, we've got uh, geological engineers. We got. Um, yeah, a lot of interesting careers and stuff. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I don't care what color or gender you are, if you can come in and do the job, then that's great. And we have some wonderful people of every color and gender at the department that I work with and wonderful people. So a meritocracy don't is get a, me is wrong. A meritocracy, regardless of where you come from. But that's the thing, right? Like we yeah. were we used to have this butt kicking test. So when I got hired, two thousand people applied, right? Yeah. Uh, I think they said like 1,200 people took the written test. Of that test, they took the top, I think it was like one half of 1%. or was like 56 people. Then they they took us to the physical. We had the hardest physical that I've ever heard of, that anybody had ever heard of. Um, and and so 56 people taken, and they weren't wimpy people. It's kind of like you were saying, that guy was, you know, that was taking that electrician's test, mm -hmm. strong guy, but um, only 13 people passed it out of 56. And so then of that 13, they took the top six of us. They gave us a physical exam, full body physical exam, x-ray, back x-rays, all that. And then a psychological, a full day of psychological testing. And then they made a list. And then I was number one and another guy was number two. And we got hired. It's just the two of us. Um, and so that's the, that we used to have a really hard test. Now they changed it to where they said, well, that's too hard. We're not getting uh, the diverse candidates that we want right yeah. so they said okay well let's standards? let's make this easier so they went to the cpat which my 12 year old when my daughter was 12 years old she could have asked it right yeah very very easy like i went and took that one while i was testing for the other one and i was like this is not even close to being as hard as that other test and so but so now we've got all these people getting injured in training because mm. i do a lot of training i worked at the fire academy i teach classes teach new recruits and we we had the HR people, HR lady brought a guy in, and I was actually in with him. And they were asking him, like, you know, were you being pushed too hard? And were they this and were they that? And and finally I said, hey, I go, I go here's the thing. I go, we used to have this really hard test, right? And she said, yeah, well, I think they, they quit doing that test because they were afraid of a lawsuit. I go, yeah, did we ever have a lawsuit? No. Okay, now we've lowered the standards and you get all these recruits that come in and they get injured. I go, do we have any lawsuits now? And she's like, oh yeah, we've got lots of, because they get recruits that come in that aren't fit enough. Oh, nice. They get injured three days into training and two years later, they're still on the city dole for L&I injuries. Yeah, incapable. And, and it's like, it's like you know, so it's, so it's a bummer. I'm like, well, I'm like, hey, you know, she's like, oh, you got a good point there. <laughs> have these standard changes been going on for a while or they oh, were yeah. exacerbated yeah after covid or a little bit no this is this was long ago this was this is geez, 10 years ago maybe you know okay. seven eight years ago that they got rid of that really hard physical test has it, it changed standards post covid though has is the fire i mean every uh, civil service like for police 
firefighters, paramedics. Oh, well, the police, because nobody wants to be a police officer anymore, they're allowing like convicted felons and people with past uh, well, they're allowing histories of mental they're, illness. Yeah. Aren't American citizens yeah, to, to become. They're literally a lot taking of, anybody. A lot of a services have suffered. I mean, I know yeah. buddies that are firefighters that are like, my department's looking for people as well. Well, yeah. when you literally, when, when you're literal, the government of your city is bad-mouthing you as a police officer, would you yeah. want to go work no. for somebody? No. Like, yeah. no. Who would, yeah. Is that inspire, Who right is that inspire to to motivate, and support, right? right? You're no. not getting yeah. supported. No, and, if you're, not. and if you're out there and they're like, you do anything wrong and we're just going to string you out to dry, I'd be like... Yeah. And, and see, we get... It's funny, too, because we get the fire department, like, we get a lot of calls, right? And you see, you hear them talk about, oh, the hospitals are overrun, Right, we get a lot of people that just decided that nine one one is their primary care yeah. physician. They yep. don't call. They don't go to a clinic. They don't take care of their own. Oh, I got a cut. You know, should I clean it out? Put a steri strip on it? Maybe a little super glue? No, I'm going to go to the call nine one one. I want to ride to the hospital in yeah. an ambulance. And I'll literally get everything. people that will tell me, I want to go in an ambulance because I'll get in the back door and I don't have to wait out in the in the lobby. Uh, with yes. the responsible yeah. people that come in and get triaged. Yeah. So now what the hospitals do is they just triage them coming in off an ambulance. Yeah. So it, so this is so check this out. So now here you guys citizens, right? You've got your local fire department that you paid tax dollars for and because other irresponsible people say I want to ride in an ambulance. Well, that ambulance gets to the hospital, and the hospital says, "Well, just because you came in an ambulance doesn't mean we're going to put you at the front of the line." So you ambulance crew, you and the patient sit over there. Oh, the crew stuck with them, and oh, they no. make the patient, the, the the crew sit with a, a patient for two, three hours. Oh boy! So now your aid car from your local fire station just is not up. in service to help you or your mom or your grandma or your neighbor that's having a heart attack <sighs> because they're down sitting there. We literally had a lady that said. She, they said, hey, we brought a chair over for her. I said, man, we got this chair for you. Could you, you know, we're going to put you off the gurney and get on the chair. No, I'm not getting off this gurney. Like, ma'am, I refuse to get off this gurney until I get in a hospital bed. Good Lord. And I, and I was like, what do you do? You, you knock it dump over it. and dump yeah. her on the ground? <laughs> yes. Like she physically 100%. refused. Yeah. And so, and so at one point we had like three medic rig and two aid cars at the hospital They'd been there for three hours. We had an engine company that went, went down and or took our crew and relieved them so they could come get their dinner and get a break and go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we sat, we took our three guys off an engine out of service and sat with these three patients until they could get a room. Unbelievable. But that's, that's you know, people are becoming less resilient. Yep. They're becoming less, you know, able they're, to take care of themselves. It's just a high level of dependence. It's an overall high level of dependence that society is devolving into. Yeah. And how uh, old was this gal? Oh, she, she, I, 30s, 30s, 40s, maybe 30s, 40s, probably 40s. But, you know, it's funny. You got the no one is coming to save you shirt on, right? In my podcast, I talk about be your own first responder, right? Yep. It's like, because literally when, if anything goes wrong, but even now, like, see, that's just regular good times. That's not a disaster or an emergency. Yeah. You yeah. think that 911 is going to be there for you when... The shit hits the fan. Yeah. When, if when, there's a when the side, big earthquake hits. If there's a big earthquake, right, which is, yeah, uh, an EMP, um, even just a windstorm or a snowstorm Somebody that puts knock out, out the power. The, knocks out the power, right? Yeah. Like, we, they literally, um, they activate the CERT team because they're like, hey, we got an engine company sitting on a down power line that's got cones on it. 
you know, hey, cert, cert people, can you come and help and babysit this power line until the PD can get there? What's cert? So cert is a community emergency response team. So that's a federal, um, FEMA actually runs that. Is it like a volunteer deal? It's training, yeah. It's training for citizens, and it's a pretty good program, actually. It's one thing that the federal government does pretty good. But they give give free labor. Training and and, and, uh, information (laughs) to citizens so that they can take care of their own community. Okay. Like I said, they say, hey, and and I'm one of the instructors for it. Hey, there's a major earthquake, and we don't have enough first responders to search all the buildings. Here's some lightly damaged buildings. We're over here doing, you know, there's a school that's collapsed, and we're, we've got heavy equipment going over here. But we've got nobody to search these lightly damaged buildings. And so we train citizens to go in groups and pairs and to safely search other buildings and do some of that light work. So How do you get right. involved with that? That's pretty cool. So you can just call, like, your local fire – you can call a local fire department, and they'd be able to point you in the right direction. We used to train it – through this fire department in Everett, the city of Everett could tell you, or you could go online too. And if you go on to like FEMA and just type in CERT, um, that information's there. Mm-hmm. And you can, it's got, there's t- all the materials free. And uh, I actually train, I actually have a group of guys that, that we train with and that we get a CERT team and then we do some stuff. So it's kind of cool. That'd be right interesting. On. Yeah. Shout out to the, shout out to TKC CERT. So. All right. Hmm. Um, going back to 2002. From the time you applied, how long did it take until you were actually receiving a paycheck on the fire department? Uh, oh, you, you get a paycheck right away as soon as you, well, oh, oh so. From, from, applic- from oh, submitting your so, application. So, I don't know. I don't want to piss anybody off, but. Um, Pretty went quick, quick, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy went quick. So, <laughs> so I had to apply. So, it was a Wednesday, and I had, and my wife had said, I think you should, you know, apply to be a firefighter. I'm like, oh, okay. So, I saw my buddy Lee. And they and I go, hey. He goes, yeah, you know, you should just you just got to start testing. It might take you a year or two. And I said, okay. So I called my dad. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, testing for the fire department. Well, he called a friend of his that he know knew from banking, that was an ever firefighter. And that guy said, oh yeah, have him turn in his application because they're accepting applications now, and it's cut off as Friday. Uh, so I got my application in, and then the written test was a month later, and then the physical a month later and then the other stuff a month later so about four months later i, I mean it was as fast That's as you could quick. possibly get hired and i was okay. like i th- i call it a miracle i thank yeah. god for that because that wouldn't it just doesn't rarely happens that fast okay. but anyways but at the same time during that i was testing for other departments and then after i got hired i had people calling me saying hey you want to come work for bellevue you want to come work for arlington yeah. and oh, interesting but it, it worked out so wow. i think Everett's the best so okay so in in the early 2000s what were a lot of the like? What was the majority of your calls? Was were we starting to see opiates back? I can't remember. No, no, no not really. Then. Not back then so much. Um, but you know, anybody that's familiar with fire service, eighty-five percent of its aid calls. And it's funny because I had no EMS in emergency medical services. For people that don't know, I had no medical training at all or knowledge of that. I mean, I could put a bandaid on, but <laughs> yeah. and so I'm like, all right, we're going to fight fires and car wrecks. And, yeah. and they're like, yeah, you know, this old lady fell down and she's stuck between her bathtub and her toilet and she's covered in poo. And you're like, uh. what? And it's like, hey, get <laughs> in there. And not, get in, not glamour. Get in there and take a blood pressure. I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> Have you been to EMT school yet? No. Oh, God. It literally... I, kept, I, I was just here to take my shirt off and wash the truck. No, I was gonna, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, when do we do the calendar <laughs> shoot? <laughs> I know, I kept, they kept, put your shirt back on, Weir, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> You're embarrassing us, your belly's hanging out. Oh, man. But, um, but yeah, so it was, yeah, it was, 
a lot of emergency medical and I grew to enjoy that, you know, quite a bit. It's, it's, it's fun, you know, and that part of the cool things about the fire service for me, it's, it's physical. You're using your body, your hands, your muscles, you got to train, you got to be strong. Um, using your brains because you got to learn, you got to learn how to be an EMT, you got to learn medical issues, fire science, all kinds of rescue, technical rescue stuff. But then there's the personal aspect where you're, you know, you're holding some old lady's hand that's dying, you know, or I've had to tell people that, yeah, your mom just passed away, you know, a little kid. Yeah. I still think of one just right now when I came back, this little kid, and he's like, is my mommy okay? And I tell him, you know, no, she's uh, dead, you know. It's like, but so, but I enjoy that, not that part of it, but if somebody has to tell them, you know, I'd like to be, maybe be the one that can bring some compassion to that and try to, you know, and just and try to help people. And, you know, you're always on parade. You're driving on the, you know, the rig, the street and the fire engine and the car pulls up and the kids dad, the dad gives you yeah. the thumbs up. The mom's waving and the kids in the back or, you uh, know, you uh, hand them stickers out the window or something. I mean, it's just the coolest thing, you know. Yeah. There's a there's a trust there and there's a, you know, and so I I, just, I love that. And so it's it's a it's a real it's an honor and a privilege to be able to, you know, do that job. It's cool. Um, yeah, I, I went through, uh, was it uh, the EMT school? Oh, nice. Where I at? I did that uh, in uh, North Seattle. Okay. So I did that, and um, that was what I was going to do, and then I ended up turning the corner and hitting uh, the electrical. Did you do anything with it? Did you work for an ambulance company or anything? Or? No, no, but that's how I met my girlfriend. She was working oh, for an nice. ambulance company. Um, so now she's a um, ER tech. But oh, cool. Yeah, she worked for Falk for a couple yeah. of years there while we were together. But watching, kind of being close to that, you know, group of people. Because again, I was I was told you're the wrong you're the wrong color. Sorry, bud. You're you don't even don't even apply. And I I allowed that to get enough because I part of me thinks that that was um, being said by a lot of people just because it was like. Well, I haven't done it, you know, like in Or they don't want the competition. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. So hey, and, 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 I, and I didn't Jordan. necessarily let that deter me, but then I, I started doing the electrical stuff and enjoyed yeah. that quite a bit. So this and the sad the sad thing is is that, you know, just because a certain type of person does well in a certain type of job, there's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. Like, you know, as a, a friend of mine, um, and he, he was a Navy SEAL twenty eight years, right? And he was talking about how they tried to do a little DEI in the teams, right? And he goes, yeah, there's certain body types and certain, you know, ancestries that do really well in the cold, wet environments. And there's yeah. some that just do not, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that was just a fact. And he was yeah. telling us about their experience with that and it just did not work out. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. I mean, personally, I think there should be more, uh, you that's, know. That's actually funny you say that because this morning, or actually this afternoon, I was standing out in the driveway with my wife in the sunshine and I was like, oh, it is so hot out here. And she's like, what? And I said, I said, it is brutal. I got to get in the shade. And she's like, it's like 67 degrees. And I said, no, bullshit. It's, it's at least 80 because this is, this is brutal. And uh, she's like, no, no, it's not. And I said, no, stand out here. This, this is hot. Like the sun is intense. And she's like, you're crazy. And she pulled up her phone. It was like 68 degrees. <laughs> I was like, oh, I am apparently a man of northern latitudes. Put on your Viking oh. helmet yeah. and raked your yeah. rest of your leaves. Yeah, <laughs> but and here's the thing too, though, is that we, it's funny until they actually start talking about it a lot. Like you could, black dudes and you know every different you know race and different creed or whatever, you know or, uh, that work for us. I didn't even think about him as a black guy 
Yeah. He's just, oh, that's just, you know, so-and-so, right? You don't even think about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, they promote to a position and oh, now it's the first, you know, of this that's in this position. And it's like, well, that's, he's the best one for the job. Like he's the one that earned that job. That's just him. And then they put the spotlight on somebody, which, hey, that's, I mean. It's going to make that person uncomfortable. No, well. yeah. And that was his thing. Like, is it, no, these people here have never treated me any different. You know, he was kind of like, uh, you know, but, you know, it's, it's just tough. It's a, it's a tough thing to navigate. But it's funny because they have this, this wall, there's this hallway, and it's called the Smoky Joe's. And this is, the Everett Fire Department's got a rich history. And it was like 18, shoot, I'm going to be screw this up 1892 i think that we started our, our locals 46 well the, they have locals in the four five digits now we were yeah. local 46 right and um in this hallway there's from all the way from the original fire chief in the 1800s his picture on the wall and every fi- ever firefighter that's ever passed away is on this wall of pictures and um on the job or yeah no 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 in history oh the wow history and then, and then there's there's pictures on in the main classroom. All the guys that are on duty now, from the most senior guy, you know, the whole department that's on duty. And then when they retire, they go over to this other wall, and these are all the guys that are alive and retired. There hasn't been that many, oh, well. you know. Okay. And so, because because people wouldn't leave this job, they'd get this job, and it's such a great job. They'd mm-hmm. work it for 25, 30 years, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But this this wall of guys. They look a lot, look a lot like us, right? And is that is that bad? Is that wrong that these guys were that that's the kind of people that did this job and built this department and made it? And so, you know, like I say, I don't think there should be anything saying any limit anybody, but I don't think you should also just be a plain old meritocracy. Period. Exactly. Well, it's don't just, limit anybody. It's weird that a job and a career is. I mean, throughout history, no one's ever been like, "Oh, firefighters are pussies." You know what I mean? Like, firefighters have been rugged. You're burning. I mean, Jesus, you're running into a burning building, right? That's what everyone thinks. And for a group to be so entrenched with, like, oh, we got to fit social normal standards or, like, we got to have a quota or this. And it's like, so what is this? This is, like, bureaucracy, of the higher ups or like of the city council it's or of these who are, things are trying for political gain for themselves and they're using these um entities to yeah these these positions yeah, as as like a favor. grandstanding yeah. moment you yeah know? your soapbox you're standing on your soapbox and you're screaming yeah. that yeah. this is something but you're doing that with and i guess you could say this for the military but when lives are endangered you're taking something as important as the military for protection the fire service for, you know, aid as well as safety and these things that we take for granted or that most citizens feel that this should be a natural amenity of life. Well, now you're using this as a platform and now you're costing people response times. You're costing them their safety. You're costing them their lives and it's sad to see something that takes such strong men, women, every, you know, all this stuff we're talking about, and you're using it for, I don't know, a vote for Alexis in your driveway. Yeah. Well, and it's it's not just it's it's permeated the culture, and I don't necessarily think you know it's there's people that don't necessarily have our best interests or anybody's best interests at heart that are trying to promote a lot of this thing on a very high level. But um, we've got some kick-ass gals that work for us. Um, We've got some 
you know, amazing people. So, um, you know, I just like say, I'm, I love my job. I love working for that, for the city. And, you know, as they, they, after they canned me, they took me back. And that's why I, I really appreciate that, 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 you know, that they did that. And so it's a whole nother, another yeah. story, but so, so hang on. I, I got, a, I got a couple questions though. Yeah. And, and I, let me just take a turn here and say, what's something that you like, you're super proud of that's happened in your career that like, is there a story or a thing that like particular day that like something happened and you just like really latch oh, onto geez. that as like, this is a cool moment. Cause I know a lot of the time things get washed away cause there's a lot of things yeah. that come through. Yeah. You know, oh gosh, it's so funny. I, we, we tell new people, Hey, you need to keep a record of your calls cause you could write a book, you know, but you'll literally have people say, Hey, remember that call where this happened? And you're like, you just you get so many and you see a lot of tragedy that you, you just kind of, you get to, you just kind of wipe on the hard drive constantly. Yeah. Because like I literally. Read, because I read so many military history books when I was in high school and middle school, I told myself I was going to keep a journal when we went to Afghanistan and I, I didn't write a single word down. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're busy doing it and yep. you're like, ah, oh, this is stupid. I wouldn't want to sit there and waste people's time, you know, yeah. but, but yeah, people would find and actually a guy just did write a book. It just came out. Um, this this guy that was a chief, and he it's funny because he he named a bunch of names, and I was like, whoa, mm, <laughs> yeah, it's called In a Heartbeat, and it, you can get it on Amazon. And Brian Zelmer was the guy that wrote it. He was a fire chief, and he'd actually gone through some tough things where he was kind of persecuted, I think, kind of unfairly about some some things that had happened, and uh, the administration kind of went after him. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting book. That's good it's, for him. Got some every fire department history in it, but uh, right. but uh, yeah, you know, gosh. I think it's just i'm trying to think of any like you know we've done a lot a lot of that you do a lot of cool training you know we got to repel off the space needle mm -hmm. okay. that was really fun um and so we we do a lot of really cool training um you know doing swift water rescue stuff actually one thing i did i i was um, helpful in is um I wanted there to be a rescue swimmer program and we had, we have technical rescue. So I'm on the technical rescue team. Well, currently I'm off because coming back, I had to wait to get back on it, but I've been an instructor for, so we do rope rescue, trench, confined space and urban search and rescue. And so, um, we have all these other specialties that we do, but then we didn't actually have a swimmer team. So we had a, there was an episode at Silver Lake where somebody was out in the water and we didn't have a way to go out on the water and rescue them. And civilians were on the thing going, why aren't you going to help that person? And they go, well, we don't really have a way to get to them. And so somebody grabbed a canoe from Emery's there and a cookie sheet and paddled out in a canoe and saved this person. So that embarrassed, <laughs> that embarrassed the department enough to where they bought a little oh inflatable Zodiac to keep <laughs> out at Silver Lake, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> the great cookie sheet rescue. But, um, cookie but, sheet rescue. but they would have issues where like, there'd be somebody underwater if they're down five feet, 10 feet underwater. Well, our policy wouldn't let us actually go underwater to rescue them. Yeah. Like you didn't have subsurface rescue. If you went in the water, you had to have a life vest on Well, you can't get somebody on the bottom of a pool yeah. officially. And so there was a kid that had drowned, you know, was uh, they, they lost him at Silver Lake. And so they were in a little boat and they're floating around looking for him. And the one guy looks at his cap and says, Hey, uh, I see him. There he is. And then he looks at him and he's like, well, what do I do? You know, Wait, and, he go, and he goes, well, are you going to jump in and get him or am I like, but he was like 10 feet down, 
But we, our policy was that you couldn't go underwater to rescue somebody. Please tell me somebody Who got the in the water cares? and got him. Yeah, yeah. He, he jumped right in and got okay. him. Yeah. Well, okay. but that's the thing, right? They didn't, the policy wasn't there. So I was like, this is messed up. Yeah. So I started doing rescue swimmer training. So I went down and took a class they had, and, and they actually teach you to breath hold, dive down to 35 feet to do water rescue. It's called rapid entry rescue swimmer. Right. So I went, me and another guy went and took this class. I'm like, hey, we need to do this. They're like, yeah, we don't have the budget or we're not going to do it or that's too dangerous. I'm like, you're going to send us into a, a deadly environment, a fire, right, with specialized gear and we're going to ass- assess the risk and take whatever, you know, risk a lot to save a lot. But yet you're going to say that the water, which is a dangerous environment, you're not going to let us go in and take a risk to save somebody. But it was just unknown to them, right? So so then a couple of years later, I took another guy down and I went through the class again. And they, I said, what do I got to do to be an instructor? And they said, well, take the class twice and then you can come help out. And so then, they, then we had another group. So we were kind of doing this as the whole thing was, well, these are going to be our water rescue trainers. So we're allowing them to go to this class, but we still didn't have an official position or a policy on it. 10 years went by Jeez. and finally they said, okay. Our union negotiated. We're going to have a rescue swimmer team. And so this is great. But then they said, and I said, okay, cool. And then they're like, but sorry, we're, you can't be on it. I'm like, what do you mean? They go, well, we've just made a new rule that you can only have one specialty for the union. And so you, because you're a rescue tech, you can't be a rescue swimmer too. And I'm like, so they said, well, you can give up your rescue tech. It's <laughs> so kind of funny. So all that worked. But so I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to be a part of, a whole bunch of really cool people coming together and, and making that, that now that, and we do, they've done a whole bunch of rescues. They've done rescues out off of the Everett waterfront on the Snohomish river. Yeah. There's a lot um, of waterways in Everett. It's oh, yeah. amazing yeah. that yeah. the and our guys, department would not have a swimmer team. Our guys have done tons of, uh, tons of, uh, water rescues and it's pretty cool. So I was fun to be That's So that's something I, I feel pretty okay. proud of. And you know, nobody, nobody's ever said anything about it and I don't really care. Well, that, looking for accolades. It's but, awesome, but it makes know. that's something I'm proud of. That yeah, you know, that's yeah. cool. Cause I I see him doing dives out here in uh, Lake Stevens all the time. Oh yeah, I've I've trained guys. I've worked as a trainer with uh, Lake Stevens. You know, our, our county does a lot of stuff together. So, mm-hmm. Lake Stevens, Marysville, Arlington, um, Surfer, which is so much regional fire and rescue, South County. We all train together when it comes to special ops. So I've I've helped train guys in Lake Stevens, um, Lake Ty, uh, Martha Lake. And, yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's yeah. That's super Pretty cool. Fun. Did you have more questions? Yeah. Uh, what was? Uh, well, shoot. I mean, you kind of answered it with that. Uh, but you know, we just well, uh, we've we've helped. There's been so many, just just being able to be a part to meet the amazing people that I've worked with there. I mean, so many. It's it's interesting. Like you know how you go in different places and you feel like you know there's not very many smart people around. You know, or like you're like, gosh, people are <laughs> people are not competent. I go there. I'm like humbled by the amazing. You know, when I'm other in other areas, you know, you see people and you're out in public and you know somebody's broke down the side of the road and nobody can help them fix a tire or nobody's able to help solve a problem. You see in a supermarket, some you see the videos right online all the time somebody's hurt or, get, or getting attacked and people are just videoing with the phone, yeah, right? But nobody helps. They just yeah. pull out their phone and start. <laughs> but I know right. one of you guys would all probably be the one. I felt like I'm the one that, to jump in and help, right? But in this group, I'm humble, man. There's so many people, you know, that are smarter than you, that are stronger than you, that are more talented than you. It's amazing, you know? So it's just an amazing group of people. And um, 
I've had some mentors in my career, uh, Rich Schroner, Mike Josepitis, uh, John Tanaka, a um, bunch of guys that just really, really knowledgeable fire service guys and it just trained me a lot. So, yeah. That's cool. So I want to talk about the opioid crisis. Jeez. And I'm curious, when did you guys start to sort of recognize it? Was it like a frog in the boiling pot where it came on slowly? Or was there a moment where you guys kind of looked at each other and went, all right, what the hell is going on on the streets? Well, so even just... I mean, shoot, even just last year, it was, it was heroin, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, you know, you kind of learn the street lingo for it, you know? It's like, you know, hey, man, Loose. Hey, man, hey, man you doing, you doing, you doing brown? Course. You doing uh, brown, you know? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, 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 do brown, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, it was heroin. Yeah. Well, then now, just it's just all changed in the last couple of years to, to the fentanyl. And it's just so cheap and so prevalent everywhere. And so now it's like, well, why would I go after, why would I try to find heroin? When I can do the fentanyl, it's so, amazing. Um, but when when did that start for you guys? Like 2010, 15? Well, you gotta remember. So I had a little break in my in my action. So about 2000, about 2021 is when they canned me. Was in October, and then 2022. Right, well, let's go back 10 years before that, because when did the opioid crisis start? Well, well. So what you had was you had the the pills, right? So you had yeah. oxycontin and that, oxycodone. Like, but like you had 20, doctors right? go through, and this is something that's never. I've kind of followed this. You've never had in medical history uh, a pain index when pain was part of. Like, if doctors didn't ask you how what your pain level were was, 10. yeah, exactly eleven. Then yeah. they're not doing. It's always their, eleven, though. They're not doing their job. <laughs> I got but a this same 11. time was the same time. Big pharmaceutical companies were pushing these opioid products on their onto the doctors, onto the hospitals, and it kind of became like religious. People became like religious zealots, like. And in certain areas like California, where well, they're in Florida, remember the pill mills yeah. happened in Florida yeah. in like two thousand. About, about two years ago, Andy Stumpf had a former uh, pharmaceutical salesman on talking about how they sold all these opiates. Yeah, during this the, that. But that it was a period. humanitarian thing. Like if well, they, I'm they in pain and your doctor's not addressing it, except he's they, being an they asshole. Had, they had salesmen encouraging the doctors. And giving them false information, telling them, well, they, they won't get addicted because they're in pain. And you can't, when you're in pain, like morphine or an opiate doesn't make you high until the pain has been subsided. And yeah. it's only when you go beyond that that it starts, well, but it's Brent's all, laughing. Uh, maybe. Anyway, but hang on. But that's the message that experience. was sold. But yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. pharmaceutical uh, companies pushing laws yes, saying yes. that this needs to be done. If you're not addressing pain as a as a doctor, pain, pain was patient, considered, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was a uh, diagnosis. It became yeah. a new a diagnosis. Immoral, yeah, because they had a product pain. to push. Oh, it, also, like it also kind of shows how not subjective doctors are to like, hey, this is the new information. You now have to abide by this, and it's like, okay, that's what we're doing. I've never seen that in the last couple of years. Weird. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry, Jordan. I was talking mm, over the top of you. No, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, it was an immoral situation to not allow. Yeah, people yeah. get high, and now they're, it's immoral to let them fucking not yeah. be high. Oh, I know. Now yeah. it's immoral to allow people to push people into certain areas when they're, you know, walking the streets and doing crazy shit and telling them, oh, let's just make a, a fund for the county to allow people to have small burglaries because 
those people need those things. So let them steal 500 whatever dollars a day worth of stuff because they need it. It's immoral to stop them. Yeah, no, I know. Because they're in need. Yeah. I'm still trying to nail down like a rough time frame of when the opioid crisis really started. Was that like the late 2000, like early 08, 09? Yes. I think 2007, 2006, because I remember seeing a documentary that was the pill mills that was happening in, um, in Florida and they were, they'd shop, right? So they'd go to Florida and they'd go to this, this, you know, doctor and this doctor would prescribe 500 Oxycontin and then they'd go to the next doctor and they would go get another bag of 500 Oxycontin and then they would just take those and then distribute them throughout the country. So that was something that was happening in like, yeah. So so for you guys in the early sort of that mid 2000s, I guess you call it the early 2000s because we weren't into 2010 yet. It's a weird Um, thing I'm still not comfortable with. The aughts? The the aughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When did you guys start seeing an uptick in overdoses? Do you recall? You know, it's hard. I just can't. I don't really feel like... Was there a point at which you were like, man, no. we are burning through Narcan like crazy? Well, no, th- yeah, just recently. Okay. Yeah. The, no, it's, it hasn't I, I been that like long ago. It's been like that it for used five to years. Be, no. It used to be a heroin overdose, you know, four or five years ago, six years ago. Yeah, you'd get them, but, but it, was a, it was a pretty rough life, man. If you're, okay. you're IV shooting up heroin, it was, there was a lot of diseases, a lot of things. You, you know, you don't live long yeah. th- that way. Yep. But when they're smoking this fentanyl, man, they just, <laughs> they just crush it up. Yeah, I can show you a picture of my. I mean, was, yeah, show us how to do it on tinfoil. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I brought oh, a straw. straw. The, uh, <laughs> the uh, no, they crush it up and then they and then they just like we'll take a pen or something and or some kind of a little pipe thing and they just they light it and burn it underneath and they just smoke it out of there. I've seen them smoking it right on the street, and then but then they, depending on the strength of it, and it just it suppresses their respiratory drive. But but here's the thing that's crazy is is that so many people have Narcan now. So what happens is people don't, there's no fear of consequences. Like, oh, you know, everybody's got the Narcan. And so they go down and finally somebody finds a Narcan or the cops a lot of times will show up faster than us, depending on what's going on. um, And they'll give them Narcan. And we have our Narcan. And we were a call the other day and we're we're sitting there, we pull up. It's funny, they have areas, West Casino Road and Evergreen Way. And there's this old bank there. And so it's off of West Casino, so they call it the West Bank. It's this shutdown bank, and it's just oh, it was horrible for a while. And they've been doing, they've been coming in and trying to clear the people out, but there was you know there'd be 30, 40 people just in the in the uh, side of on the side of the road doing drugs. But we we'll get a call, and you can run it, jump it out, and the guys land there, and you know they've jammed the Narcan in them, or the cops jammed the Narcan in them for whatever reason they're waking up or not waking up, and then we give them the Narcan. But sometimes it's it's getting lately where they haven't been waking up. And there, it has taken longer and longer. But, but think, how many times can you go? Can you code four, yeah. five, seven, eight minutes without oxygen to your brain? Jesus, before you turn into a zombie. Yeah, I mean, you literally like you. You know, have three minutes without oxygen, right? Your brain, you start killing brain cells. And these people, we see them over and over and over, and they won't. We're like, they wake up. We're like, hey, we need you to go to the hospital. No. Well, and they won't even say no. It's, uh, uh, and they, they, they'll go running down the street. Stagger off. Yeah. Jeez. Running away. And you're like. Have you narcan uh, the same person multiple times? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's the most? You get Do to you know, have a number? When you get to know their names and birth dates, like you know oh, their Lord. birthday or yeah. their name. Like you're or giving their... them a test when you ask? No, yeah. no. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, yeah. it's heartbreaking because in my opinion, 
to allow somebody to stay in a life of addiction like that and homelessness is not love. No, it's not. I don't care. You say, oh, I'm going to give them a clean needle or I'm going to give them food. You can go in the city of Everett every day of the week and there is at least three, if not five or six places where you can get a meal during the day. So what you're doing is you've got these people on the streets. Purgatory. They're, they're doing their drugs. They, they go and they, somebody gives them a meal, so you allow them to stay on the street. Somebody will give them a place to stay when it's really cold, and you're perpetuating this person's miserable existence yeah. in hell. Yeah. Like, that to me is not love. Love is, is saying, you need to stop. Yeah. That you need some consequences. I've had things that have happened to me in my life. And the consequences were such that I said, I'm not going this direction anymore. Yeah. I'm going to make a change. And it's, and I was happy that I had those consequences, yeah. you know. Well, not only that, but there's a, I mean, I believe that at the point where they've taken it so far that they've actually killed themselves with drugs, we could probably just take the, uh, take the Narcan off the trucks and out of the police cars, let them go. Because they've, <laughs> their life has reached such a low that it's, it's probably okay to, it's probably more compassionate to let them go. Yeah, but I, I will never. I, I, our job is to save lives. Yeah, we, uh, we, we don't treat, we don't discriminate against anybody. I don't care if it's the lowest of the low persons or you know, overdose fifteen, twenty times. I'm going to do everything I can to save their life. Yeah, that's my job. The, the mayor and the city pays me a lot of money to do that, and, and I'm going to do that. Those decisions need to be made at higher levels, and oh, I yeah. think it's, you know, it's. I think there's other things that you can do, to stop to stop to help those people in other ways. Um, yeah, we have a... Hopefully before it comes to that point, right? Because nobody wants to see somebody yeah. die like that. We're building a trebuchet. And I know what right you're saying. The, I know uh, what you're seven. saying, but <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's my... Yeah. There, there's no, you know, anybody... I don't discriminate against anybody, the, the lowest of the drug addict. And we've I've had some pretty nut people in some pretty low places, and, and we help them out. And we've had people we've helped... I mean, one guy that we... I think they had seen they seen him like two hundred and seventy some odd times in one year. Holy shit! That he'd gone to the ER. Yeah. And they have different programs for these people that are the repeat offenders, but like now they a week. now they have um, these low barrier housing units they have in the city where they say, um, well, instead of having them on the street, let's just shove them in this unit. We'll just pay for it, all expenses paid here, and then give them a check, give them food, and just let them be here. And they can do their drugs, they can drink, they can do whatever they want, and no consequences. Good Lord. They can do whatever they want in there. Yeah. Where, and where and you won't get kicked out. Where is that? Oh, there's a bunch of them. Um, yeah, <coughs> Claire's, Claire's Place. No, no, no. These are big, fancy, brand new apartment buildings. Oh, shit. Right there on Pex Drive in Evergreen yeah. um, th- by, the, by, a, by the city the reservoir there. There's a huge apartment complex so does, who, who, <coughs> right across from Value Village. Um, that new one they're building... Um, well, there's Andy's place, which is on like Lombard and 30, 30th and Lombard, something like that. Big, huge, fancy. So are these privately owned and then the city is paying for it for I, the rent? I don't or know who? all of the thing, but there's, I guess you know, either these way, pr- taxpayers public, are private. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You're paying for. Regardless of how it's structured, it's tax. <laughs> and what they do is they make these kitchens with, um, a little stove that has an automatic timer. Like the oh, stove good. will so only stay on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll only stay on for like Jesus five Christ. minutes. Thank God. Um, Thanks for paying the, your taxes. The everybody. countertops are stainless steel, so nothing can get broken. Nothing can get damaged. It's just, it's almost like a prison kind of. Good grief. Um, but you go in them and they still, tra- they still trash these places. And it's just really sad. But, um, 
You say you said earlier that your job is to save these people, and there's nothing else that you'll do. And I, yeah, I agree. That should be the job of a firefighter. It's commendable. It's part of. I think you probably feel it's more of a natural calling at this point, and it's just something you feel you have to do. But you can't say, Tobin was saying, put them in the trebuchet, throw them out to the sea, all that kind of stuff. To the orcas. Right. And, like, that's something for more of our elected officials to do. But to be a person in your situation, to see this stuff, what do we do where a normal person is? I mean, I work in Everett quite a bit, and the shit I've seen change over the last 10 years, five years, yeah. well, last three years in you know, has changed everything. But over the course of time, Everett has gotten progressively worse. And it's like, so what do we do? Well, how, that's, how that's do the thing I've, I've often said. Change? I've often said that if the average citizen knew how people abuse the system, they would, they would be an uproar. But they just don't know that, right? And when we go to, when we go to this call, 911 call, and somebody goes, uh, I want to go to the hospital. Why? Well, I've got a tummy ache. It's been going on for a couple hours. Okay. Um, have you tried taking some Pepto-Bismol? No, I want to go to the emergency room. Have you pooped? Okay. Yeah. Um, I see three cars in the driveway. Is there somebody that can give you a ride to your, your probably not best thing for you is an emergency room. It's a walk-in clinic or your regular. Nope. I want to go to the emergency room and an ambulance. Oh, yeah. And then, then a guy comes out of the back room. Hey, what's going on, honey? She's like, go back to bed. I got it. Good grief. Somebody there. They don't even ask. And, and, and our job, we can't say no. No kidding. And so they don't they don't empower you to say no, yeah. right? So, so it's a policy. It's problem. a policy thing, and you're as a company officer on a fire engine or a ladder truck or whatever, you're kind of right in the middle of, you know, the citizens and the and the administration and all that. You're the one right there addressing that person. Yeah. And you need to make that decision. And there's there's guys that would say, no, I'm not sending you to the hospital ambulance. No. And they, but you're taking a big risk on because if Got that it. person decides to sue you or or you know, report you or something, you could get in trouble. So you're trying. So the guys that want to save the taxpayers some money by not sending the guy that doesn't need to go, he's the one that is risking his job. Or the other guy that just comes in and goes, yeah, yeah, give me an ambulance, a taxpayer's expense, you know, two, three thousand dollar ambulance ride, you know, how many thousand dollar emergency room visit. And we get people, you'll, we'll see them the same day back out calling us again, still have the ER band on their wrist. They get kicked out of their, they they said they go away and so then they want to. Is that a, is that a mental illness this, <clears throat> that you're seeing, or is this just somebody who's high on authority and they just want to be able to tell people what to do, or, or the whole lonely? lonely. The, the lonely. mystery of mental illness yeah. is I mean, beyond. Yeah, you know what what's bad behavior? What's mental illness? What's 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 a, a, a brain that's so fried by doing yeah. drugs and alcohol for so long that you can't make any rational decisions anymore? I I just don't. That's a that's a the question of the ages, right? Or yeah, just a shitty person, yeah. which seems or somebody to be, with a bad attitude, or yeah, you know, or not taking yeah. responsibility for their yeah. life. You Growing know? up, I, I was it, always told that there's, you know, <laughs> go take the ambulance. When the ambulance shows up, go take the ambulance, because there was always the the guy who was having a heart attack, and he was like, "I don't need an ambulance ride. Like, don't get out of here. I don't need you guys to be here." And that's I was always under the impression that that was the case. You guys showed up to somebody who needs a ambulance and you have to fight a guy because he doesn't want to get on the ambulance because he's like, nah, 
Oh, I'm well, going to be fine. Well, that depends, right? You know, that, see, that's the older generation. Yeah. It's the old lady <laughs> that's like having a having a heart attack, and she's like, I'm you good. know, you're like, what's your, or, you know, or she's got her, you know, a compound fracture of her lower legs, right? And you're like, well, what's your pain level on a scale of one to 10? Oh, I'm Two. about a three, honey. I'll yeah. be okay. Just put a splint on it. And then you get the kid that's, you know, 18. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst pain you've ever felt in your life, what's your pain? I'm at 11, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I look yeah. at him and I say, okay, so if a bear was ripping your arm off, what would your pain level be? Yeah. yeah. Well, that'd be a 20 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's always 11. I don't yeah. even ask that anymore. Yeah. I look at him and I go, yeah, I'm sure I, you know, I could guess what they're going to say. <laughs> but I mean, that's the, that's the thing that the generation is coming up. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a new attitude of entitlement where someone is supposed to take care of this for me. Exactly. Somebody is supposed to come here and yeah. do something about this, and it's not me. Yeah. 100%. And what, yeah. And how can I beat the system? How can yeah. I work the system? You yeah. know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's tough, right? And as a. Uh, it's the same reason you can't get a good so- sale on a garage sale anymore, and everything's like full price. It's the same thing. People rate them it's early, just, and then they pay, they sell it on offer up. damn entitlement <laughs> that's going on out here. You know, I remember going to the 50-cent sales. Right, you could buy toys by the pound. And here we are. <laughs> People want full price. Oh, man. All right. So it's tough. That's a, it's a tough thing. But I tell you, what, you know, there's amazing firefighters in, this, in these jobs, and when they go in, they do the best they can to triage and take care of the people. Amazing high training, especially at our department. Highly trained people. And the reason why is that we've had pretty good benefits and a pretty good schedule. And when you give good benefits, a good schedule for people, they want to do that job. And so you get a lot of people that apply and, and want to do that. But, uh, yeah, if you, you know, it's, if you, and, but if you start firing people, right, what happens? And um, we're, uh, we're behind the eight ball still trying to recover because they lost a lot of people because they had the people they fired. But then there was a bunch of people that said, um, take the job or you're going to fire me. Uh, you know, um, I've had that shoulder injury that I've been, you know, oh, legitimate. Yeah. Um, might as well take, you know, my retirement now. You know, I've had that knee that's been bugging me, and I was going to maybe work another two, three years. And so they lost a whole bunch of people that just said, yeah. I'm out and retired, and they still haven't caught up yet. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I have that's a friend tough. who, uh, I think it was 2021, he got fired. and um, he This is his first week back. What did he do? He's a firefighter. Oh, for, wow. Uh, Kirkland. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, did he? Go, he's going back to Kirkland. He, yep. He's oh, nice. Back on with Kirkland. They've been they've been fighting it a long time, and I didn't I didn't know what was going on. Oh, good for him. Yeah. That's so awesome. he moved his family. Good for him. Out of the state, and you know, just right. kind of started working that, and uh, I think he found another firehouse somewhere yeah. else. But uh, yeah, he he got it back on with Kirkland. Imagine so. being in your in your dream job. Your dream, you, you, and, and doing the job that you love, you have a passion for, you have a calling for. And then somebody's saying, oh, if you don't do this, we're, we're you know, all the work, all the training they put into you, and we're just going to, we're going to kick you to the curb. Yeah. Oh, if you don't do something to your body. Yeah. yeah. Or imagine they say, do this, and you're like, this doesn't seem right. I don't want to do it. I'll take my chances. And then they come back and they're like, hey, you know what? You're right. Why don't you come on back yeah, to sorry. us? And you're like, <laughs> what makes you feel worse? It's like, I was right. It well, no, I changes like, um, there, there's a customer we have at work that I had, I couldn't go there for a while and now I can. Yeah. 
And it's like, my heart's not in it. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Like, I, I used to care about doing a good job for that customer. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. It's no it's respect. It's like, yeah, though. you know what? If we're off schedule, if we're over budget, whatever. Fuck you. But the, what it, that's fear. It's not I mean, fear. It's, it's but, when you realize how low their regard for you was. No, but that's the fear is. of that person to be like, if you don't get this shot, I think you're going to kill me. Or if I don't get this shot, I'm going to get fired. And I want don't want that to happen. Yeah. And so, so much fear, more, so much compliance. More, there was so much more I'm going to lose my job than I fear you're going to kill me. Yeah. Mo- there, most was, people, there were so many people coerced into taking yeah. that that didn't want it. Yep. And yeah. they ended up doing it because they were afraid they weren't going to be able to pay their bills. But that's all. That's I had a young, fear. I had a young guy, young medic working for me. I was a captain out there, and he's like, Cap, I don't do man. He goes, I got young daughter, special needs. Two, he's got two little kids, one special needs. My wife takes care of her. I need my health insurance, and I can't. He wasn't able to shift over because he didn't have a certification at a certain place. And he goes, I don't know what to do. He didn't want to take it. And I just watched this heartache on this guy yeah. as he battled in his mind what he was. And thankfully, I was at a place where, you know, I could kind of afford to you know, do some other things in the meantime. I didn't have kids like that where it was so that, you know, he was in a, yeah. a tougher place than me. Yeah. Well, it, it's that that whole, you know, three-year episode is one of the reasons I started training Northwest and why I'm striving towards self-employment so that yep. I can be, I don't want anybody telling me what the rules are from here on out and what I can or can't do. I don't want to work in a place that, where I'm, I'm just hoping that some administrator is going to be morally strong enough to stand up to some retarded fucking uh, <laughs> government measure. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, and, so, and there's a lot of that coming in the future. Oh, there, you, if you look at if you look at coming. so yes. the so this whole Fed coin thing that's going into place here in July. Yep. So it's they're going to start saying that uh, you know certain transactions will have to be going through this the certain fed coin thing yep. and i believe it's just the beginning of getting us onto the central bank digital currency oh, yes. Yes, yes. because they're going to they're going to it's going to slowly happen you're going to lose your purchasing power eventually they'll say turn in your money yep uh, one for one um, okay next month it's you'll get 90% of your value next yep. month 80 and, most and they're going to force up because they'll be afraid yeah. And they'll be, oh, I'm afraid of losing value. This is how I feed my nope. And if people don't take a moral stand at this point, we are setting our kids up and our grandkids up and our great-grandkids up for a lifetime of um, almost, it's going to be servitude and social credit and just being held under a surveillance state. And, man, everybody needs to realize that you're going to die someday. And so giving in to fear for short-term comfort you can, we can, we're, we're at a precipice right now where we can really fuck up our society if we give in to fear for the sake of short term comfort. Or you're going, we're all of us who are, who are adults right now need to take on some short term discomfort in order to secure the future of this country uh, and the, you know, sort of the freedoms we have enjoyed growing up because there are people who want to take that away and they want to make it a control state. And yeah. it's, the time is coming very soon where it's going to be now or never. Breach it. No. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys um, know who uh, Drago is, uh, Thomas Zirian. I don't. And he um, he was just on the jo- uh, the Jocko podcast. And um, I, me- I remember listening to him like when I first started getting in preparedness and stuff and doing some tactical training like 15, 20 years ago. Um, he was uh, a Navy SEAL 
he 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 grew up in Poland, and he grew up in Poland after World War II, right? He's and and so he he um when the uh, socialists were in charge there, and he and his, he just came out with a book, my Ple- a pledge to America, and I'm I just bought it on Amazon, and I encourage people to go out and buy it. But he um, he grew up underneath socialism and the communists coming in, in the Soviet Union, and he was actually put in a Polish prison. And he talks all about this. It was a five-hour podcast, and it's, it's it's incredible. But okay. it's but he talks about how that his dad went fully went into the party, and his mom was Christian and wanted to keep raising him, you know, that way. But his dad went fully with the party, and how the socialists came in, and you know, people could work, but if your job was taking, you know, his uncle made bricks, but his bricks were better than the communist or than the socialist uh, government bricks. So he was taking the work from the government. And so they said, you need to stop making so many bricks because you're taking there's, work. There's a book about that called Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, yeah. Exactly that but scenario. Exactly. And so they ended up smashing, you know, the anti-fascists back then came in and smashed all his equipment and they kept doing it until they ran him out of business. Yeah. But he and Drago ended up going into a, a Polish, um, he was a political prisoner and, but then when the Pope John Paul came in and solidarity and all that, and they and they released him, he came to America, and then he ended up becoming a Navy SEAL. Oh shit! And he's a, he's a really cool dude. Interesting. So yeah, I'd encourage people to check out his story. But the thing that was so interesting listening to that is hearing the similarities of today of what's going on. Yeah. The public pressure and stuff, and and how they how they enslaved people with with socialism. Yeah, man. But that's used through fear. Don't even start, Mike Zedong. Oh. We will fuck you up. Break this bottle over your head. We're closing in on two hours. So this that uh, that would actually be a great point to sort of segue into what we're going to be doing with Training Northwest in the future is I've really been wanting to bring first aid training online. And I think Brent is going to be the guy. You know, he and I have talked unofficially and with all of his uh, first responder experience, he's probably going to start taking the lead role in the first aid training out at uh, Training Northwest, whether he does it under his own name and we sort of work as a partnership or whether, however we work it out. Um, I'm really excited to have like someone, because our buddy Dave has been doing it, but he's he's down in Eastern Oregon, so his and he has kids and family and a job and whatnot, so having someone local who's able to take on that role is, is pretty awesome. And I think that, uh, I don't know, is there anything you want to say about first aid training to the general public? Um, yeah. Would you mind if I talk uh, about the not, my not, podcast not and project two, two, three a little bit? Absolutely. So, yeah. So, um, so, you know, I'm getting into preparedness and all this and, and, um, doing some shooting. I'm not a, I wasn't a combat veteran, right? I was, I was on, you know, our, our weapons on the sub were, hey, if anybody attacks, grab a big wrench and smack them, right? <laughs> but um, and we did carry a forty-five when we were overseas when we were on watch, so that was kind of cool. But I'm like, what's this, you know? <laughs> we, we have somebody else who carried a forty-five, and she handed it like that. Yeah. So she's learning as well. Nice. So, but um, but yeah, but then I started doing some my own preparedness and stuff, and. Um, so, you know, I've, I've done some taking classes and shooting and I enjoy building rifles and all kinds of stuff and got my NRA, um, rifle and pistol and CCW instructor creds and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I started getting more into like the, you know, food preparedness and medical and comms and stuff and started building a group of people that we do a bunch of training, but at our church, um, I was talking to our pastor one time and I was like, Hey, you know, it was kind of back with the BLM and all the riots and all that was going on and everybody's kind of freaking out. And I go, I go, Hey, what would happen if the, 
you know, trucks weren't making it to the grocery stores and we didn't have enough food on the shelves. I go, what would we do for like the people in our congregation? And, and my friend, Billy Wheeler with, with Calvary Chapel Everett, awesome guy. He's our pastor. He's a, uh, also a police chaplain and, uh, he's, he's a great dude. But, um, we were talking and he goes, gosh, you know, I don't know. And I go, we should start doing preparedness training for the people in our church so that if stuff goes bad, people don't show up like, help us. We don't have anything. They can take care of themselves. They can come here and then we can try to be a strong group right. that can help other people. Yeah. You know, we're, yep. they're, they're secure, they're safe. And now we can be, a, you know, an asset to our community. So we start teaching classes and um, one day he comes to me and he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, you know, we should call our class. We should call it project two, two, three. He goes, you know, Proverbs 22, three. And I go, well, I don't know what, what is it? He goes, <laughs> it's the, it's the wise man sees trouble and prepares, but the fool keeps going and suffers. And he goes, yeah, perfect. 22, three. He goes, get it two, two, three. And I go, yeah, 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 I, I get it. I get it. So, so, so we started teaching classes and um, my first one was um, bug out bag. Let's talk about bug out bags. There was like 40 or 50 people there and it was awesome. And people, and, and so I, I had like five hours of material. I didn't really realize it, you know, and I went over, but you know, I went, took a couple hours when I'm, you know, teaching people how to, and people just ate it up. And yeah. so we did a food supply class. We did medical, we did comms and we did, we did do operations where people would go out in groups with the radios and make comms back and forth. And so, we've got this church of people that are all really getting into it. And That's so cool. it's just kind of grown. And for then I decided doing a podcast. And so I started doing interviews with friends of mine and stuff. And I brought you guys a little gift here. Um, so it's a, uh, from, oh, from the no project way. two, three swag. No so no you guys way. will have to fight hey, for, uh, there's a hat and, uh, and yeah. a couple of shirts. I think I got a large oh, and an extra large. And then these are little survival kits that no we, that oh, we, nice. we, we did an expo over in Idaho and we, this is, uh, by survival kit, he means this is the uh, Narcan. It's, oh, yeah. you know, it's just a starter kit. It's got your little flint and stuff in there, but you know, it's just oh, yeah. the whole, Hell the whole yeah. mission of the podcast is to help people prepare to be more self-reliant, right? Oh, this it's, is awesome. That's, it's, this is amazing. This Apparently, is this is awesome. we're slacking over here. Yeah. At, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if you need a bigger size. I can get, if there's a, we need to be. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, so I do try to do cool interviews with people and do some training. We do some ladies' pistol class. I know you guys do those too, but yeah. um, I, I'm excited to be able to work together with you guys because you got a cool facility. you got a like-minded vision as far as helping people be ready to, you know, be self-reliant. You're not going to depend on somebody else for your security. Um, we're not going to let our country be taken over by um, people that don't have our best interests at heart, you know, as far as when it comes to freedom and liberty um, and people that have the ability to live the life they want to live. So the Constitution's there for a reason. The Bill of Rights is there for a reason. And, and um, so I think we, you know, we need to make sure that we're willing to step up and do our part and not leave it to our kids you know, a crappier world than we got, you know, we had the ability to grow up and make decisions and do what we wanted to do in life, you know, but then to see people starting to get fired for, you know, not taking a certain medical procedure and stuff. I mean, that's not right. Yeah. So we need to yeah. step up. So anyways, well, yeah, I'm excited to be a part with, you know, however we can work together and, uh, you know, have a like-minded vision and stuff. And, uh, yeah, so we just, Things are growing. Things are going good. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. So I think that is a perfect note to wrap up on. And Brent's podcast is called Project 223, correct? Or yes. Yes, it's on. Yeah, you can get it on uh, Apple or 
Yeah, that might be the project two two three. Okay. Um, and is there a website that goes along? Yeah. With, or is yep. It? Yep. Project two two three dot com. And if you go there, there's a little link you can click with the headphones, and they'll take you to the website page on Podbean or. What episode are you on? How many have you? Jeez, I'm on season two, and I I think probably it's probably like thirty or something, or twenty, nice. 20 yeah, or thirty. Not yeah, long. Yeah. I've just only been going for like a year and a half, and it's just yeah. But, but you got a good backlog where people can listen. Yeah, and yeah, 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 catch up. Bit. Yeah, I want to listen. Yeah, to it's stuff. it's fun, you know, and it's you know some are better than others, but uh, but I just to me it's cool to be able to I just enjoy it. Like it's fun to do something that oh, you enjoy. It's the best, and um, to be able to share nuggets with people and and interview cool people like. To me, I have the kind of an unsung hero like um, series that I'm doing, where it's like cool people. Like I interviewed um, this guy; he's his name's Doctor Scott, and he's this uh, medical doctor, totally into preparedness and training and stuff, and um, really cool guy. And so I did an interview with him and stuff. And awesome. And um, another guy, a friend of ours, it's, it was in Special Forces Army, and oh, has Bryce. A, yeah, Bryce has a training company, Intrepid Tactics, and they and so he's a good dude. And so I've interviewed him and some other guys. So. Yeah, but as much as it's for <laughs> like you're like oh I'm gonna create something for other people to listen to and maybe this will be entertaining, the most rewarding thing is like my selfishness of what I take away from. Oh, it. I love it. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because I think when you have an exchange of ideas like this and you can sit and talk about these things, it, it makes you think. Yes. You have to generate yes. that. You know, I have to think about it, and then you speak it out, and then it, yeah, it helps you. Yeah, where do I stand formulate your thoughts and yeah, really yeah. dive deeper and understand how you think, why you think that, and if it's valid? Yeah. I agree, hundred yeah. percent. But it's funny, you know, just meeting with you guys in person the first time. I've probably listened to 15, 10, 10 hours, whatever you more than that of you guys talking. Shame on you! And then I meet you, and I'm like, oh, they don't. Jordan, they, they look different. They look shorter in person. Yeah, We're all more it. handsome. <laughs> That's exactly. That's oh, but man. it's fun. But it, you know, it's funny because you feel like I'm like. I feel like I know you because I hear yeah. you guys go back and forth in the sense of humor and all that. And it's like, actually you kind of get to know somebody through that medium. Yeah. So it's a cool thing. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's a lot of fun. And that's, you know, Mike and I have said this a couple of times on here and I said it after Greg and I did one of the first episodes of his show. I was like, man, I don't care if anybody listens to this. It's just a lot of fun to sit down and have a focused conversation with people because that's something that's being lost in society. So, well, Hey, if I could say one more thing, yeah. And this is pretty cool. You talk about people listening, right? Um, I've got I've got a couple people. I've got a, got some friends. Uh, or I shouldn't say friends. I've got listeners that actually send me some money on Patreon now. I'm like, oh, geez. whoa, are you serious? That's crazy. And then and then the guy emailed me and sent me a really encouraging email. And these people are like, hey, we want to do this same thing that you did for our church, right? And so, you know, and, and being, you know, I'm a Christian man, and so there is that, that aspect of, you know, I don't hold people's, you know, you don't have to have the same beliefs as me to listen or to be a friend of mine or whatever. Um, but but you know, we do kind of have come at it from a Christian viewpoint, but it's right. do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Yeah. You know, treat others like you want to be treated, and that's kind of the the main focus. If you're if you if you think that way, then you're a friend of mine, right? And and believe in freedom and liberty for people to live the way they want to live. But um, I got this other. I got a couple people sending me things saying, "Hey, we want to do this for our group," and and it could be for a church or a group. But I'm putting together a book actually, where I have a checkoff manual, and then there's skills modules so that somebody can take this to a church or to their their small group, and they can start their own. Project 223 group, right? Preparedness training. And so it's got medical, it's got comms, it's got self-defense, it's got personal family preparedness. And it's, it's pretty cool 
Do you, have, do you have a title for it yet, or is it still yeah, just it's, in it's the Yeah, this is Project 223. Oh, there you go. Group preparedness plan. Okay. Yeah, well, and, and... Do you have a schedule for publishing it? It's coming out this year, hopefully. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right, so... Sometimes. But, but what, I will so say... where should they follow I, I got an email from a guy, and, he, and he's, he's like, yeah, I'm doing my first thing at my meeting at my church, and he goes, would you review my notes? Yeah. And he had all this stuff from my podcast that he was going to share with this big group of people nice. <laughs> that he had messaged me, and that was so... Like for me, I was just humbled and honored. I was just like, "Wow!" You talk about you know people maybe yeah. not listening, but you guys joke about not having listeners, right? But I was listening to you all day today there's, on my podcast. Fourteen of them, yeah. all right. Yeah. But yeah. but the same thing, right? They're but all burner phones. But to have Mike's somebody, house, but yeah, thank you, thank you, twelve. Yeah, to have somebody like that to send you an email that that, that cared enough to say, "Hey, I can't wait for the book to come out," and I wanted. I'm like, that was really cool. So it's rewarding. See, but you're now. much That's more awesome. commendable if someone <laughs> wrote a book about the things I've said. I, uh, I would cry on the end. Oh God. Uh, no. just, if someone wanted to publish something words. from our podcast, it would be one of those flip calendars where you tear the yeah. pages off and it's just a stupid poop joke. Don't sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself short. We're man. having a good time, though. This is a great. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. It's no, allowing I, us uh, to meet people like you. and you know, I love listening to you guys' podcasts. Yeah. It's fun. Appreciate that. We appreciate that. Thank you. All right, guys. I think we're going to wrap it up right here because we're at the two-hour mark and my butt is sore. So, uh Thanks for listening. Mine is too. Yeah. How about Jordan? Is yours? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Save We're that all for sore, the next but, one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, if uh, if you're enjoying the show, go to iTunes or Spotify and leave us a review. Yeah. Because that helps now that we're no longer in our brand new fresh 90 day window. We sort of get put at the bottom of the pile as as people are randomly sifting through podcasts to listen to. So the more reviews we get, the more we get pushed in front of potential new listeners. So we would very much appreciate you guys going over there and leaving us a review. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>